Oh, we're live. Look at that. I can hear someone's air conditioning. That's me. It's not definitely mine. Is it out? Okay. It's, is it's it irritating? <laughs> no, it's not bad. It's not okay. bad. Um, welcome, everyone. Hello and welcome. We're live. Welcome to the CASA Live Advocacy Update live stream podcast show internet thing welcome we're happy to have you here thank you for joining us uh we'll start with a uh, noisy ac man over there hey how are you today alex those are my initials too is <laughs> ac yes it is noisy ac man i should start a band you um, should yeah uh doing good i had the air on it's it the temperature is nice outside but it's like a billion percent humidity so i know I yeah, it's bad things out a little bit Sorry that I, I will apologize in advance for maybe the lackluster deep dive for this afternoon. I'm, I'm a little little tired. I stayed up late last night playing a, a video game. Um, I see how it is. <laughs> was it Pong? No, it was uh, Cyberpunk 2077. Ooh, is it good? I'm sure people have some some feelings about it. It was it, it is. It's a beautiful game. It feels like it's a little incomplete, but um, there was one thing, there's a scene in one of the missions where a group of characters are um, plotting their next mission and one of the characters lights up a cigarette and, and another character says, you can't smoke in here. And I thought, man, like this whole game takes place in this dystopian, like, you know, people are augmenting their bodies with all kinds of cybernetics and crazy stuff. And, you know, the city is sort of ruled by gangs and all of the all of the horrible things that you would imagine in a dystopian, very, very not so helpfully tech driven future, I guess. Um, and, and smoking is there's an anti smoking message. There's the, the stigma game. still reigns on still still reigns supreme. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know what to make of it, I, whether or not the you know, CD Projekt Red was approached and said, hey, look, like you've got naked people walking around blowing body parts off. You should probably have an anti smoking message in here. Right. Yeah, that's definitely top but priority. It was, right it was a little bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I uh, just super side note. I heard some like really not great things when that game first launched because they were having lots and lots of issues uh, mm -hmm. with it. So I hope at this point those those bugs and issues and stuff are fixed. And Yeah, and not not the least of which apparently the way they treat their workers. So I, oh, I, don't know okay. that I, can, I don't know that I can mention that game without mentioning some of the issues they have internally, which is, I think, something that's a big problem throughout the video game industry. Just gaming, yeah, the gaming industry yeah. in general, uh, from people who code to graphic designers to the artists to all of it. Yeah. There are a lot of problems. Maybe someday we'll just do a deep dive into the gaming industry. <laughs> no, probably not. I'll bring my husband to come on and talk to you guys. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> we'll just start a whole new, we'll start a whole new uh, uh, consumer advocacy organization around, around <laughs> gaming, but it'll be like for workers or something. No, I don't know. Either way, uh, I hope that uh, I hope that you don't have any issues with the game, and I hope that you continue to enjoy it this weekend. Yeah, Kristen, hey, how are you? Good, doing pretty good. Um, yeah, I'm with you, Alex, on the whole sleeping thing. Last night, holy cow, I could not get to sleep. My brain just would not shut off, and I I stopped drinking coffee by noon. Um, <laughs> but I still, I, it was like 1230. I was watching some doc. I, I watched like three documentaries yesterday. I watched one on the son of Sam on Netflix. And then I watched one on Betty White. And then I watched one about, um, Queen and Adam Lambert. The Ooh, new mashup. Yeah. 
And I got done with that one about 1230. I'm like, why, why am I not getting sleepy eyes? Why am I still like wide awake? But I'm like, okay, I'm gonna turn off the TV. And uh, I just laid there for like 45 minutes. Finally, I got up and started scrolling through Facebook and, <laughs> and Twitter. And I think it was after four by the time I finally fell asleep. Jeez. And it was just, so I've just been trying to run and play catch up today. It's been a little crazy. So I was, I got a little bit of a late start today, but uh, I think I got everything all cut up. I even made a strawberry ice cream, low carb strawberry Ooh, ice cream. Very <laughs> nice. Very nice. All right. Uh, and Logan, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's been it's been one of those weeks. It's been a long week. It's been a hot week. Uh, lots going on at home, but um, otherwise, I'm doing pretty good. I feel good today. I actually, I think I'm the only one here that that got a good night's sleep. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, also, I I have always had a problem falling asleep, uh, and it's one reason why still to this day I use cannabis uh, because it helps me sleep. But on top of that, something that I've been trying lately is is an app. Uh, I don't I don't necessarily want to promote the app, but it's an app, uh, and it comes with like a ton of like sleep stories and meditation stuff. And the sleep stories I have found extremely helpful because I'm one of those people. Uh, the TV is on, you know, I have a fan mm. going, background noise. I'll lay in bed, I'll scroll on my phone for an hour until I finally, you know, whatever pass out. But the past like three weeks. I've just been putting on a different sleep story every night, like a half hour or so before I really like know I need to be asleep. And before I even hit that point, I'm, I'm out. Uh, so for anybody out there, if you struggle to sleep, uh, I don't know, check out some of those apps are really great. And the one I've been using is, is been really helpful to me. So yeah, otherwise good week, good week. Anyways, moving on, moving forward. Uh, glad to see everybody uh, is here in chat. Uh, I, I just loved this, by the way. I'm going to pull it up <laughs> one more time, Mark. AC Man and the Harm Reductionists, I think, is a fantastic band name. Uh, and I would be happy to play bass for you, Alex. I would cool. be happy to play bass for you. So, uh, all right. Moving forward, as Alex says, moving right along, uh, it is time for that legislative rundown. I apologize, guys. Danielle has also been very busy. We don't have a bumper yet, so uh, legislative rundown. <laughs> they probably wouldn't have noticed. Here's your bumper. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There's there's the um, there's the intro. Um, so I uh, will pick this right back up where we seem to be leaving off every weekend. Um, uh, with stuff that's uh, still ongoing. Uh, if you live in Maine, uh, once again, uh, this is still active. LD 1550 is a flavor ban. Uh, and so if, if you're in Maine, please make sure that you contact your lawmakers and urge them to oppose this. We brought this up, I think, three or four weeks in a row. Um, but uh, the, the state is in special session now. They come back in July to do their budget. And there is a concern that this could get wedged into um, the budget. Uh, the next thing to bring up uh, that is active, let's get back to that handy dandy clicky map. Uh, Missouri, Kansas City. Um, this, I, I get my, my notes mixed up here. Yeah, so this could come back. Uh, to council on uh, June 30th. I think there was some discussion about um, triggering language. Uh, I, I'm not exactly, you know, what would 
bring the ordinance into effect, not the not the other version of the word. Um, but uh, so this is still active. If you live in Kansas City, Missouri, um, just like Maine, please uh, take advantage of the the easy, easy to use form that we have here. Customize it with your testimonial and let the Kansas City, Missouri City Council know that banning flavors is is, is a bad idea. Um, the other thing, uh, and, and we do, I think, I, I haven't updated this recently. Um, the good news is out of Connecticut. Again, we have we have two bits of good news. I think two weeks in a row. I love good news on this program. <laughs> good news is great. Um, so Bridgeport, Connecticut. Um, this ignore the fact that this is still active. Uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut has decided to not uh, move forward with their flavor ban, and uh, we have an article about it here on our blog post. Um, so this is good news, uh, it, and it was I, this was predictable, honestly. Um, the uh, you know if 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 the state had Bridgeport was waiting to see what the state would do. Um, it, it, there's you know not a lot in terms of space when you talk about Connecticut. So uh, you know for for one city to do this, also you know neighboring or or nearby, it, it's all in New England. So um, it, it it doesn't really make sense for one municipality to kind of stand out among the rest. Um, of course, municipalities in Massachusetts didn't seem to have that that problem uh, prior to the state's it's just cr crazy ban everything. Um, yeah, it's mass. Yeah. Um, so just kidding. Uh, Love you, Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, congratulations <laughs> to Bridgeport, Connecticut, and the entire state of Connecticut for um, doing your part to start ending the the drug war and also um, not deny people access to safer nicotine products in interesting flavors. Um, Until the state tells you to. <laughs> um, so uh, other than that, I, I don't have any engagements to show for Los Angeles or Washington, DC, but um, folks should know that uh, those ordinances are gonna be coming back for votes, uh, which at this point is sort of largely a formality. Um, we did have uh, an engagement up a year ago for the flavor ban in Los Angeles. Um, and, and not a lot of engagement from people. Um, so, it, and, you know, LA seems to be, as I understand it, um, some of this fight really needed to happen kind of in the media and with coordination and, and of course, hiring, uh, you know, PR and government relations people. So um, it, 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 it seems like the barrier to accessing the city council is actually quite high. Um, so yeah, that, uh, I believe ends the rundown of the legislative stuff. Awesome. So we got some we got some things we need to work on. We have some calls to action going out, some engagements for people to get into, particularly Maine. Um, but we got some good news. Bridgeport, Connecticut. Connecticut in general. Good news. Good on you, Connecticut. All right. So I guess are you guys are you guys ready? Are you guys yeah. ready? All right. Time for some take threes. Is it take threes like plural or is it just take three? I don't know. I haven't decided yet. My brain just goes to take threes. And every time we do a take three, I just want to eat a take five.
when we came up with the name for this, I was just like, oh, I just want one of those candy bars. They're so good. <laughs> but uh, but all right, I guess who who's starting off this week? I don't know as though we actually decided. We didn't. We didn't, but I feel like y'all have the the your two topics are a little bit um more related. Nah, never mind. That we're all we've all got different things to talk about. I don't we can do it alphabetically. Again. Let's do it alphabetically. That works. Cool. <laughs> well, that falls to me. <laughs> um so I figured I would just spend a little extra time. Um not much though. Um because I think Jacob Greer has, has, you know, pretty well written all this out. Um, but uh, Jacob Greer's article featured in our, our blog post this week, uh, the vaping study you haven't heard of. And this certainly made the rounds in the, you know, the vaping Twitter sphere that we're all a part of. Um, but I, I, I don't know, actually, I kind of stopped watching like the major news networks for it's been several months since I've spent any time in front of the, the big three. Um, so I, I, I don't know that, you know, NBC or, or, um, CNN or, um, any of the nightly newscasts picked this story up. Um, and I, I think there's a little bit of, I, 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 I'm not quoting anything word for word in here other than a few things that I brought out, but, um, there's a bit of hesitancy, I think, to report, um, any of these findings, because I think people are very concerned that if they say anything positive or anything not negative, not discouraging about tobacco use, then the the, the concern would be that you would see a run on cigarettes, um, which you know we I think you know we saw this I believe it was in France once there was that sort of tenuous link between nicotine preventing uh, the the uh, the, the sort of cytokine storm, that overreaction of the immune system to COVID-19, um, when there were sort of early reports of that maybe being a thing, there was a run on nicotine patches in France, and they had to limit the amount that someone could purchase. So they were actually rationing it out. I don't know how long that lasted. I'm sure it's been resolved, but, um, and I, I don't know how much of that was, was sort of a supply issue. Um, so, uh, you know, anytime that, that there is anything positive to say about tobacco, nicotine, vaping, or whatever, especially in relation to, you know, preventing something like COVID-19. Um, I, I think that, that news agencies and public health people are very cautious about putting messages like that out so that, again, we don't see a run on cigarettes. We don't, we don't want to encourage people to go out and start smoking cigarettes just because they think it will prevent catching or, or developing severe complications from COVID-19. Uh, but as it turns out, a lot of the research is showing that people who smoke are getting COVID-19 at much lower rates or noticeably lower rates. Um, however, you know, the, the sort of balancing here is that people who used to smoke who may have uh, already started developing smoking attributable diseases, um, have, you know, their lung function is compromised and so on. Um, they end up actually experiencing the severe complications. They are more likely to end up dead uh, or on a, on a ventilator uh, as a result of COVID-19. But in terms of, of vaping and smoking and all of this, uh, it's, it's not really panning out that people who, who, who smoke or people who vape are getting COVID-19 at higher rates. Uh, and this is, of course, I think, you know, a lot of the point behind uh, Jacob's story here is that 
there was a, a huge push. You know, we saw the, the, the research come out of Stanford that was uh, compared to this study done by the Mayo Clinic, a, a small sample size. Um, and that news, well, <laughs> that, that very scary sounding story flew around the world. I mean, very quickly. And uh, this was also something, I, I brought this up on the podcast before, um, and I, I just, to, by way of disclosure, this is secondhand information that I received, but uh, in the lead up to finalizing New York State's budget, uh, as far as I know, there were several members in the state assembly that were sort of on the fence about enacting the flavor ban, uh, enough so that the chances of the flavor ban being included in the budget um, weren't as great as, as anti-vaping folks had thought. And so I think maybe a week or so before uh, the end of the sort of budget negotiating, uh, activists showed up at the assembly and, and or I, as much as I, maybe they did it by Zoom, I don't know. Um, but they peddled this idea that vaping was actually uh, leading to more young people catching COVID-19. Um, and there's some really simple explanations or, or thoughts on, on why that might be. Um, you know, one one really practical observation is that young people tend to tend to share things. Um, that's when I was a kid. That's how I got mono. I mean, they call it the kissing disease because it's usually For a reason. Yeah. that way. But you know, I, I shared I shared a, a, a coke with a, a friend who, like, a couple days later, it turned out he had mono, uh, and so that's that's how I got it. Um, and so yeah, I mean, if you're passing around a vape, uh, you know, you're sharing more than e-liquid. Uh, that's just common sense. And, you know, uh, the real practical advice there, if you want to prevent kids from spreading COVID-19 to one another is don't don't share things that you put in your mouth, yeah. uh, whether it's a vape or a soda or, you know, don't don't share gum, you know, that you've yeah. been chewing all those things. Sharing um, is not always caring. Or yeah. sneak into the base, you know, sneak into a basement party where there's 50 kids hiding from parents and all packed together like sardines, yeah, <laughs> probably right. drinking from each other's out liquor cup and doing all sorts of things they probably shouldn't do during a pandemic. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, people who specialize in communications, maybe you can focus group this one. Um, I learned this from Saturday Night Live. I think it was you can pick your friends and you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friend's noses. <laughs> I've heard that one, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, I think that the, the main kind of point here is, and, and I'll, I'll quote this from, uh, from the article, uh, if the Stanford study earned widespread headlines about the dangers of vaping, why has the Mayo Clinic study with its larger sample size and better methodology received virtually no mention whatsoever? Um, and, you know, this is, this is part of that, like, you know, a lot of our problems sort of come from the imbalance in how this issue is being reported. Um, we have, fortunately, we have people like Jacob, Jacob Greer or um, Jacob Solom, just, just going down the list of Jacobs, um, you know, and, and other folks who are, are publishing in Filter. Um, but these are not articles that make their way to the New York Times or the Washington Post or Time Magazine or, or you know, USA Today. I actually, USA Today, I think, has had a couple of good things. Um, and every now and then, the Wall Street Journal or Forbes will, will come out, but they have a bit more of a, a, a lean towards, you know, free market and, and, and promoting, you know, businesses. So there's, a, there's a, I think, a perceived bias there and, and, and so on. So, 
Um, but of course, you know, the other thing is that we have journalists, we have editors at newspapers, and of course, the influence of, of anti-tobacco activists saying things along the lines of, if you say good things about this, then it's, it's going to undermine all of this anti-everything messaging that we've been putting out, and you're actually going to encourage people to take up nicotine and smoking and, and so on and so forth. We know, we know the script on how that goes. Um, but in the long term, you know, this is, this is one of those examples of why people start to distrust their officials and, and, and in a really critical time when we need to trust public health officials uh, in the midst of a pandemic, uh, this is undermining that trust because a lie by omission is still a lie. And as far as any, as far as I'm concerned, I don't want to speak for everybody else. This is essentially this is a lie by omission. The fact that NBC News doesn't pick this up and put it, you know, at six six o'clock or six thirty, uh, means that people are out there uninformed. You still have folks thinking. I mean, if you can, this this falls into that that uh, kind of explanation or that that theory. You know, the, the idea here is moving people towards safer products, and so. If people who smoke still want to quit smoking, they should be aware of all of the alternatives available to them and be able to choose vaping and not be scared to death that it's going to put them at risk of catching COVID-19. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, the, the idea that smoking is preventing people from getting COVID-19, I'm sure that has spread like wildfire among people who smoke. Um, and uh, so they're just going to keep smoking, not knowing that that vaping is is not contributing to more people getting COVID nineteen. Right. Um, so the other thing, uh, I, I had four quotes that I brought up here, um, and this is, I think, really important to any uh, conversation we have. Well, no, sorry. Um, the other quote I have here is raising the alarm without appropriately solid justification also contributes to attitudes of mistrust toward media and health authorities. Uh, the internet has democratized access to scientific papers. So when news stories go beyond the evidence or access to scientific, or, I'm sorry, or ignore contradictory research, online communities will figure it out. I don't know how I became the only person on the screen, but- You did it. Uh, I put you up there because you're the main speaker. So I figured oh. we should have, and you weren't we showing were just us. Highlighting you. You weren't showing okay. a screen. You weren't showing anything screen. So I thought, let's show Alex. <laughs> All right, cool. So anyway, um, uh, yeah. And, you know, this is something I had this conversation with uh, uh, Danielle Jones, our, the, the, our, the board president of CASA. Um, and uh, I think, you know, she has some scientists in her life and, and was, uh, I think, reviewing some studies with this person and, and said, uh, and, and this person was sort of like, wait, like, what, what do you mean you, you read the research? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, this, is, this was sort of the point of the internet was that to make information as, as widely accessible as possible. I, I think sometimes, you know, when we talk about, you know, the, the, the tobacco control playbook, which is sort of part and parcel with the, the big tobacco playbook. Um, it's as if people haven't updated their playbook since the 90s. Uh, and now we all, we can go online. There's, if you can't get past a paywall, sometimes you can find the research on Sci-Hub. Um, a lot of times you can find a friend or somebody you know who knows a guy 
who can get you the, the, the PDF of the study if you really want to read it. Um, these things are happening. People are curious about the real science behind all of this. And eventually, people will come to their own conclusions about risk and harm. It would be great if we could formalize this distribution of information so that people are getting timely updates like, hey, a study uh, that included 70,000 people found that vaping wasn't contributing to rising COVID-19 vapes or uh, rates. Um, and yeah, so I, it's it's kind of like, you know, in public health and in, in the media, you have an opportunity to kind of get this right and and not report this stuff without bias or, or you know, it's supporting your 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 papers agenda uh, in terms of healthy lifestyles and so on. You, you have an opportunity, even if you screw up the first article, you can immediately come back and say, oh, wait, there's some new information that's come out. We need to update this so people have a better understanding of the world around them. But if you let it go for too long, eventually people come to a place where I'm at right now, which is, I, I, I can't remember who I was having, I, I was having this discussion with Danielle. Vaping is now a litmus test for me. When I see, especially lawmakers, <coughs> who I know, and you know, we had this, this the committee hearing with Krishna Murthy um, uh, in, in the uh, ENC Subcommittee on Health um, uh, earlier this week, uh, if lawmakers aren't good on their research in vaping, if I watch lawmakers who I otherwise think are critical thinkers or are, are on the side of angels and so on and so forth, if they get this wrong, everything else that they're involved in is called into question. I, I am just, it is so disappointing to me to see folks I consider to be smart, independent thinkers, uh, well-credentialed, well-respected, come out and just spout talking points that they got off of a lobbying sheet from Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids. That is not due diligence. You are taking one side of the argument and, and leaving everybody else, you know, hanging out to dry. Um, and we will figure it out. And we have every, every, every right to lose faith in our officials when they don't tell the whole story. Uh, and so the last quote that I have from the article uh, is, experts and journalists could have simply outlined the reasons to worry about heightened risks and emphasized sensible precautions, such as not sharing vaping devices, and then continued to follow the research. But instead, they turned this into a crusade. And that Stanford study, which is now, I think, thoroughly complained about and, and, and questioned, has made its way into city councils and state legislatures. And I can't remember if it came up in the hearing. I wouldn't be surprised if it did. Um, but it has gone through all levels of government and been used as a uh, as support for banning flavored products and taking people's access away from this. And absolutely, organizations like the New York Times uh, and all of the body parts groups are complicit in this misinformation campaign. Uh, and all they really had to do was give people practical advice and just follow the science. And, and so um, good on Jacob Greer for this excellent article. If you haven't read it, certainly check it out. Uh, this isn't the last that we're gonna hear about this. Um, and so I think the more critically we're all thinking about this, the better. That's it. Yeah. Link link is in the um, chat right now, and it will be in the description below after I get to it. <laughs> what a world we would live in if everyday people were given like clear communications 
from our public health officials, not like back and forth information and like all this and that. Just like, just tell us, just give us good information so we can make educated decisions about our own risks and our own health. <sighs> what a world that would be. Can you imagine? It's that combination of the agenda of the anti-tobacco and anti-nicotine people, same thing, um, and media, their agenda being if it leads, it leads. Yeah. The worst news, the better. You know, scare people. Yeah. That's what gets eyeballs. That's what gets clicks. And saying something as controversial as, you know, people who vapor smoke might actually have some protection. And there's so many questions about that, too. I mean, I can't wait to hear what it ends up coming out to be because, um, you know, former smokers are, once they get it, I mean, both are protected, but former smoker, but what is it? Former smokers, what was it again? One of them actually is surprisingly, former smokers were not, didn't have a, which study are you talking about? The ones where they're, well, for smoking and vaping and stuff, how it was like the former people who were former smokers were actually at greater risk, but it was a protective uh, for people who were currently smoking. Right. You know, it, it was like, boy, that's so, yeah, I and think I think the, vaping even had a weird kind of contradiction well, of the, in it too. Yeah, one of the things, I, I didn't grab the quote, but one of the things that, that Jacob Greer pointed out in the article was, um, it, that it was it was one of those weird results from the Stanford study that um, people who had vaped in the past week were Never less vaping. likely. Yeah. No, it was, it was it was people who had had vaped very shortly before this survey were less likely to have a COVID nineteen diagnosis. But then it was, you know, how is that? How does that make sense? I, yeah, I, I remember it was like something with ever if you'd ever vaped, you had a higher risk. Than people who had just vaped the most recently, right, which makes right. no sense. Okay, so I had a vape two years ago, and I'm at greater risk than somebody who's currently vaping. That makes no right. sense. Yeah, there's but so were, much mystery in that. The like we, I just vaped a week ago. Were those people also former smokers or no? That's then. That's the question. They've got to look at all well, that stuff. Formerly people yeah. who smoked. My right. Bad. My apologies. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe the previous vapors who were no longer vaping and, and had ever ever vaped were actually back to smoking or had now they're non-smokers, so there's no protective effect. Right. I, I, I don't I know. Think, <laughs> I think nicotine. I think current nicotine use plays a, a big role in this. And then also, if you if you did used to smoke, like Alex talked about, you you have compromised lungs. You have a compromised system now. So the severity. Not necessarily like the transmission or getting COVID, but the severity of COVID, if you get it, was worse in people who used to smoke. Right. And I, I just want to—I—I I think just to, to throw and that. Who's more likely to kind of, I, I, There's a need to throw kind of a clarifying statement in here, in that you know, Casa is not—we're not taking like a scientific position on this and saying mm, that no. there is definitely something like like you know, Logan. I, I think there's reason to investigate further the role that nicotine may be playing in this. But I think one of the other surprising results is that it was cigarettes that had more of a protective effect than 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 vaping. vaping. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, is there something in tobacco smoke that is 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 having a, a much greater effect above and beyond? I think sure. I asked and that. Could in it the also study. just to go back to nicotine? Could it also be the amount of nicotine? That's possible. You know, yeah. if you're if you're smoking and you're at that, you know, nicotine yield of like two ish milligrams, 
But if you're somebody who's currently vaping and you're using a, a really low milligram uh, e-liquid, could that also be a difference? If it is the nicotine, is the nicotine level, how relevant is that? Well, that, maybe not even necessarily the level, but how it's delivered. You know, early studies, and I don't know if this is still a case or if anybody's determined differently, but from my understanding, a lot of what we absorb when we vape is actually through our mouths and not deep into the lungs the same way as far as nicotine. Um, it actually has more in common with NRT than it does with smoking. And, and maybe it's something to do with how it goes through the blood brain blood barrier and all that, you know, and the, the um, maybe nicotine salts are different than people not using salts, you know, because they're closer to what you would get with smoking. So there, I mean, there's so many interesting things to, but I, yeah, I think that the big thing, the big takeaway from that is how it's all being reported, you know, right. that, that they're completely ignoring anything that could possibly be pro, pro vaping and not coming out and talking about it. Uh, whereas for one study, whereas the one other study is just blasted everywhere like it's fact and it's just a, a conclusion and there you go and i'm pretty sure that's what stanton glanton did when he came across that article he probably said there it is you know here's proof <laughs> without saying yeah here's a suggestion <laughs> that it may be <laughs> with the youth one i mean yeah and like this topic is not something like this is not uh it's that issue is not exclusive to this you know right. like we said earlier you said like if it bleeds it leads like bad science gets clicks all the time or like bad yeah. news or more this, this panic, this moral panic, like that's, that becomes newsworthy. It becomes click worthy. You know, people want to read that as opposed to like, wait, smoking may prevent people from getting COVID. Nobody, nobody's going to read that. They don't even bother, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then former smokers <sighs> being world. higher risk. I mean, that could totally be because they have some kind of condition. Who's more likely to try to quit smoking after 30 years? Somebody who doesn't have COPD or cancer or something else or somebody who does. So now who's more likely to be a former smoker in that sense, an older person? It's going to be somebody who's like, oh, this has affected me. I now I really need to quit, even though it's still very hard. You know about people with cancer who still <laughs> keep smoking and such. But, but you know, that's a whole nother factor right there into a former smoker because why are they not smoking anymore? So now you got to compare those two things, people who quit smoking because they were sick or people who quit smoking because they didn't want to get sick. Those are two very different groups. Compounding you know? factors. <laughs> so all, all of that to say, if, if you are a journalist or a lawmaker or a public health official, um, obviously from the past uh, 10, 15 minutes, however long we've been having this sort of wandering conversation, um, clearly, there is a lot to discuss here, and I think people are interested and people obviously benefit from the due diligence, from, from credible research that isn't just done to, you know, raise people's uh, fears and anxiety. Uh, and, and so I, there's a tremendous opportunity here. I know that, you know, perhaps uh, journalists are um, wary of getting angry letters sent to their editors. Um, they have jobs, after all, to consider. Um, so I, I don't know, uh, but um, yeah, certainly a lot more honesty in reporting this story and really just everything about vaping and, and smoke-free alternatives, um, I think will, will benefit society in the long run. Um, and so, yeah, that's that. We can, uh, we can, we can move on to whoever's next. That was a great take. Yeah. <laughs>
Fantastic take. Kristen, what's your take this week? Well, my take actually didn't end up coming from the blog because something came up on Twitter that got my attention and ended up being a really good, I felt was a, a really good topic. Let me see if I can get my Ooh, so this is This is live exclusive. You don't get this from the blog. <laughs> um, you got to be here for this. So with this one, it actually started, and I really probably should start at the beginning because it, it, it's because of, of Joe's um, tweet at there, or his question to me was, isn't, it was sort of rhetorical, isn't quitting smoking important? And the next question is, why is that so? And it all came about because of this tweet where um, Allison was talking about Shantex, and, which I think is Champex for our friends over. Yep. Um, and talking about how it's been, uh, there's been 544 suicides and attempted suicides reported to FDA's adverse effects. Um, and then uh, Jonathan Fold, who uh, Logan would be talking about in a bit, commented that if you are trying to imply that these were caused by Shantix and you're kind of peddling the same fake news as those claiming e caused THC volley, he was, we talked about this pre-show and he was close on that, but bad example. And we'll talk about it in a second. And then this is where Joe said part of the medical regulation is the release seat is the release testing and supply chain visibility that catches these problems. FDA approved doesn't mean it's perfect, but it typically does minimize downsides. And my response is here somewhere. Ah. And then I said, Chantex makers are at least given a pass when they point out that the benefits still outweigh the risks. Vapor products are being rejected by public health groups for not being 100% safe. Indeed, it seems no risk from vaping is too small to outweigh the benefits of quitting smoking. And with uh -oh. that he did agree to that and that's where his question came from and uh and so what i ended up uh doing was i thought this is really just not an easy thing to talk about on twitter and um decided that we should take it here and uh so from the beginning wise when it talks about quitting smoking he said isn't important isn't it important to quit smoking and um i can close this now wait let's let's do this um no Hey. How do I put myself on? Oh. <laughs> I like totally put myself out. <laughs> How do we do that? Nope, I don't want go. that. The one next to that. <laughs> this one? Nope. No. Nope. Next one over. One more. That was clever. One more. No, I was just nope. trying to do. So is Alex the only person <laughs> this who can good. do that? <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> Uh, I guess there's just no way for, wait, hold on. I, I don't know why I'm the star. Let's see if. Uh, I mean, let's be honest here. That's <laughs> that to you. But you are. And then that doesn't that's work. Okay, so We're just making fun. people dizzy at this point. I think. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. We'll come back to that. We'll figure that part of the show that out. That was later. really weird. Um, okay. So you guys get to just listen to me talk tiny. Um, <laughs> so anyhow. Uh, so what I wanted to talk about was this a very key phrase in what he said where isn't quitting smoking important. And that's actually something that's kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, debatable or arguing, you can argue that it depends. It really depends on 
what's going on in someone's life, whether or not quitting is important. You know, quitting is a very long, or you know, smoking is a very long-term thing where you, it takes decades before you really start seeing the truly severe, deadly. I mean, some people get things like COPD and such earlier, but again, those it's mostly about shortening the life and taking about 10 years off of people's lives, depending on which age group you're in, up to 10 years. And so we were talking about how, there are certain situations where maybe quitting smoking isn't as important for somebody. Uh, if somebody is in uh, rehab or trying to, is struggling with a, another addiction that maybe is more immediately threatening to their health or their welfare, smoking may be something that you can kick the can down the road a bit to address that that immediate more telling risk, which could be anything from drugs to alcohol. I mean, alcohol itself is something that can be very deadly just from using it once in your entire life it has nothing to do with addiction really it's much more dangerous but you know um alcohol poisoning drunk driving accidents things like that if you're fighting alcoholism do you want somebody to and this person's has six seven eight ten drunk driving infractions which i have seen i live in wisconsin <laughs> um that that uh what's more important for them to quit smoking or for them to quit drinking and what should they focus on? And we've seen, and I'll bring this back up again, we have seen um, in Philadelphia, they banned, actually banned, um, I don't wanna remove it, I want to do this. Um, they actually banned smoking in treatment facilities and some places actually say you have to have become a non-smoker before you even can apply or get in. Is that true, Logan? I believe I've read that as well. Um, yeah, I believe that's is, true in some cases. In some cases, not all cases. Uh, and some, some that's not an issue at all. But this really was just, and it's a, it's a really, I don't know, maybe you can share this link in the, um, in the chat. But this right here is talking about somebody who he, he didn't want to check into someplace where he had to quit smoking first. And ended up uh, either not going or not, or he had, he was kind of in and out, uh, kind of like the author of the article. But eventually he ended up drugging, drugging, dying because of a drug overdose, I believe it was, all because he couldn't smoke. And so, which one was more important? You know, you have something that took this poor guy's life that before, for forcing him to, to, conform for something that may or may not because remember smoking doesn't kill everybody you know <laughs> who smokes um but so that there's still there's it just increases your risk a lot so so that that's my kind of comment on is it important you know is it important well important depends on what's going on in somebody's life at that time um you also have situations where uh the smoking and, and now we have vaping, but where nicotine use, let's put it that way, um, is is filling in for something else that could be worse. Uh, you often see studies talking about how, and it, it always bugs me the way they twist these in in studies where they say that smoking is, is associated with suicide. Smoking is associated with mental health issues. So smoking is associated with um, increased alcohol and drug use and their conclusion is the smoking is causing it and if people would just stop smoking <laughs> all these problems would go away 
And I came across that when I was looking into this question as to whether or not it's better for people to not smoke when they're trying to um, address a mental health issue of some other kind, addiction, things like that. And um, there's most of the, it's sort of flip-flop where a lot of research, where a lot of people who work in the industry and work with people struggling with addiction um, have always said, let's kick that down the can and worry about that later and just address the one that, that is probably the most risk to them right now. And that was sort of prevailing wisdom. And back in the 90s, they started getting pushback from that where um, they kept saying, well, no, you've got to, that's not true. Studies show that people who um, who quit smoking, who keep smoking, might be more likely to get back to doing drugs and such. And a lot of weasel words, a lot of maybe might, could, possibly. And then, but when you talk to actual people who have struggled, and I'm hoping to get some stuff from Alex and um, and Logan here, what what what's really going through most people's minds? Because I just I find that hard to believe that it's not a coping mechanism anymore, and it's actually pushing them back to to doing something else. Uh, I have a situation with my own daughter. Uh, she's she was struggling with stress, anxiety. She was cutting, and just a little bit of nicotine gave her a different focus. And she had started smoking. Yeah. Even, even moms of, <laughs> who promote tobacco harm reduction every single day have teens who will do stuff like that. Um, she's an adult now, but that, that filled that, that was her coping mechanism. And to me, this idea that like Ruth Malone, you were engaging with her, Alex, in a different thread. And I jumped in on that one too. But one of the things that I wanted to say to her was, what do you think is going to happen when you eliminate all this tobacco and nicotine? Are people just going to start eating kale and doing yoga to cope? <laughs> is that really what you think they're going to do? Are they going to turn to junk food, uh, alcohol, other drugs? You know, so these are coping mechanisms. And, and so that's, that's my answer, I guess, is, is, is it important? You know, obviously, in the long term, it is important. You have, you know, it affects every organ in your body for the most part. Um, heavy smokers who smoke for decades, or people who smoke heavily and do it for decades, it can affect their spouse. Um, as far as the secondhand smoke, that's the only way that I that it's been shown. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's not good for you. I mean, any person who smokes and inhales it and knows how they wake up and how they feel when they wake up and how it affects their breathing and all. every day you, you you know it's not healthy it just just from what it's doing to you personally so yeah it is important that people have safer alternatives and that was one other thing i was going to say was it is it important to quit smoking define smoking too because the, the people who are anti-smoking have changed it to anti-tobacco and then they change it to anti-nicotine and have now taken the stuff that's safer and are pushing. And again, another thing I pointed out to Ruth Malone was pushing out how, how bad these alternatives are. And if they don't have alternatives, you're going to have people smoking instead. So the, um, I totally lost my point. Where was I going with that? <laughs> But yeah, so it's, what was I saying? The Ruth Malone was talking about 
Oh my God, I just totally lost my train of thought. Well, I, I will tell you, I'm, I'm ready to jump in with my own like experience and, and feedback on this since you asked, if, if that'll give you time to maybe get back on track. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Okay, so um, first of all, I did want to point out um, Father Jack Carney's um, uh, note in the chat yeah, um, about California, California gearing up to um, get rid of uh, vaping and smoking and drug treatment centers. Um, first of all, for those who don't know Father Jack, um, Father Jack ran or still runs an, a, a program called Hasir, Helping Addicted Smokers in Recovery. Um, and in, I don't know if he's still able to do it, but back in the day, he would collect vape supplies and distribute them to treatment centers or a treatment center for people coming in who were smoking and offering them a safer alternative. Because if there's one thing you do a lot of in an inpatient recovery program, it is smoke cigarettes. I, I went to a treatment facility in Pennsylvania, not in Philadelphia, um, and uh, the little smokers outpost, the joke was sort of like at least once a week, those things would just start to billow out smoke after the smoke break. And you'd be sitting in like a small group session, you look out the window and there's just smoke going by the windows. And it's yep. because it, everybody is just like, you know, sucking one down and trying to get back in on time. Uh, and it just ends up, you know, sort of catching fire. Um, but uh, yeah, well, now I've lost my train of thought. Oh, so, you know. <laughs> we didn't get sleep. We didn't get enough sleep. That's what right, it is. We need to hire a conductor for all <laughs> these trains that are derailing today. Yeah, there's, just, there's, just, there's just so much to this, right? I yeah, mean, so I, I, would, I would think, um, you know, one of the things that I thought was really odd when I got checked into this treatment program was they took my Rolaids away from me. Of all the things in the world to take away from somebody, Rolaids. I, you know, I had a lot of heartburn and, and this and that. So I, I really did want my antacids. Probably had a lot to do with my diet, which consisted mostly of alcohol. Um, but they took my Rolaids away because they, I guess there are, it, it's a drug-seeking behavior. They were worried about that, that somehow I would start consuming excessive amounts of Rolaids. It, okay. it, it was bizarre. You have you have a you have heartburn. There's yeah. a drug that will alleviate that heartburn. I, I don't even consider it a drug. It's just like it's talc. Right? Whatever whatever the right. okay. yeah. yeah. is enrolling. Right. There, there's, a, there's a medication, whatever. You're going to seek it. I hate the term drug seeking yeah. behavior. It's so that's so dumb. It, yeah. it, it's turning <laughs> an obvious, very rational thing into something that's negative. So in the same facility where I had my Rolaids confiscated, I could go down to the commissary and buy a pack of cigarettes. It, it was it was bizarre. Um, anyway, they did allow us to smoke, and um, and that was good. I you know, the one thing I could I could should maybe theorize just out of my own experience and and something I I, I think is is worth um, looking into. Um, you know, one of the things they tell you in recovery is in order to, to help support yourself, you have to be very mindful of people, places, and things. So the friends that you used to hang out with, that maybe you, you would use with, uh, the places you would visit, and of course, the things in your life that you may associate with, with substance use. Um, and, you know, I mean, cigarettes were there for me before I started drinking. They were there after I stopped drinking. Um, it, it, I never... I, I guess there is that that tendency maybe for people to romanticize sitting at the bar, having a cigarette, a shot and a beer, 
or whatever that, you know, I have a lot of uh, very positive childhood memories associated with the smell of tobacco smoke. Um, and uh, that was one of the things I explained in my, my Twitter thread response to, to Ruth Malone. Um, there is nothing like the smell of a cigarette freshly lit off of a car lighter. Uh, and I think if you were born after like 1996 or, or 2000, so I can't remember what year it was, but automakers have just sort of phased out the cigarette lighter. Now it's just the 12 volt jack in, in, in your car. There's no cigarette lighters that come standard anymore. Um, so I have, those things are all positively associated with things. So I can imagine, you know, for some people, perhaps the smell of cigarette smoke may transport them back to a situation where they were using. And there's that tendency to romanticize our, you know, when we were living in our addiction and so on. And I, I, I apologize if I'm using outdated language to talk about all this stuff. I, I got sober in 2006 and the world has changed several times over since then, um, especially with regard to how we talk about substance use. Um, so anyway, I, it, it is, that is interesting to see what role cigarettes play in terms of people relapsing. I would be very interested to see that research. Um, but I certainly benefited from being able to kind of hold on to that one last thing. Um, the other thing that I did bring up in that thread was uh, this concept of self-harm. And, and from my experience, you know, I went through many years of, of just, I have a lot of my, I have my own self-esteem issues. I have, uh, you know, self-doubt. I'm sure I'm, I'm re responsible for a lot of self-sabotage and so on and so forth. And, and when it comes to improving my health, I always have that barrier of like, well, do I, des do I even deserve to be healthy? Um, you know, and smoking is a, is a really great way to kind of ensure that you're not going to get much better. Uh, and so there are those instances, I, you, you, we continue to have dark days. I don't care if you used to use drugs or not, everybody has their low points. And for some of us, reaching for an implement of self-destruction is oddly soothing. Uh, there is that, that there is that sense of taking back agency and control through substance right. use. It's, it's a weird thing for people to wrap their heads around, but I, I think stuff like that needs to be investigated. Um, and certainly, you know, just this, I, I don't know what is the justification between, between behind Philadelphia's uh, ban on smoking in treatment centers. I don't know what's behind the justification in California. I imagine it's, it's uh, probably more moralizing than it is actual evidence. Um, but yeah, so sorry, I didn't mean to hijack your take, but. <laughs> no, that's okay. I mean, cause this, this ended up being this question of smoking, you know, is it important to quit smoking? Was it just kind of opened up and it's why I couldn't respond to him, to Joe in just some tweets because it's just such a complicated thing and it opens up so many other discussions, not to mention the original Shantix discussion about whether or not that is actually a good thing or a bad thing. Because, you know, my, my point of, of quitting smoking, if you quit smoking from it, that's, that's the, a huge benefit because yeah, quitting smoking will help your body. I mean, it's going to, it's going to let you heal. Your, your lungs aren't going to be so taxed. It's going to reduce your risk of these future health risks, especially things like COPD, um, oral cancer, lung cancer, throat cancer, um, all sorts of different cancers. The heart disease thing, I'm a little iffy on whether or not I believe that one because 
that's a whole nother road we can go down if anybody wants to sit and talk about keto and low carb diets. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, but yeah, so, so obviously those things are a factor, you know, people who, people who um, advocate for people who smoke, uh, mainly just for just leave us alone type of thing is how their attitude is. Uh, and usually they get accused of saying, oh, smoking is perfectly healthy. Well, you do get some people who are a little militant about it and be like, oh, it's all baloney. Smoking doesn't cause anything. They didn't prove any of that and stuff. And again, that goes back to what Alex was talking about, trusting your health, um, your health professionals and public health experts and things like that, because they just saw so many, so many shenanigans with secondhand smoke you know, being and and uh, smoke-free tobacco and how they've manipulated that into being banning, you know, Western tobacco and outdoor smoking bans, you know. So you can't blame them for being very jaded as to whether or not some of these studies that are showing smoking problems. Um, and I just could never get that far of going there, you know. Um, but I, I just know how I felt when I was smoking. You know, and I, 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 you look, you look at what's on that cigarette filter and after you're done smoking and, and just go, how, you know, some of that's getting to my lungs. That just can't be good, you know, and wait, and just how I feel after I quit, you know, waking up and not hacking on a lung, being able to walk for longer time. I mean, those are all just, they're kind of no brainers. So yeah, of course it's, it, it's important for your health. It's important if that's what's important for you. For some people, living 10 years longer is not important as important for them as to how smoking makes them feel now. I mean, that's going to be a little, <laughs> you know, maybe that is helping them cope. Maybe nothing else will. Maybe that's the one thing. If you're going to take that away from them, they're just going to say, screw it. I'm done. Start doing something worse or just end it all. So you, so. What, whether or not it's important to quit really depends on the situation. And that's what it comes down to. Um, and that's my take on that. But I really want to quick just talk about the Shantix thing. It's really important when we're looking at those numbers that Allison put up there. And I'm not calling her out or anything on that because it's a very common thing to do. So it's very understandable. Is that Correlation does not necessarily mean causation. And as much as people say, oh, I had horrible experience on Shantix, my husband, when he took it, I told him, stop, go back to smoking. You know, so I always felt that way too. But the more I got into watching, studying about studies about vaping and how they would do things like, oh, here's some side effects of vaping, uh, weird dreams and coughing a lot and uh, indigestion and just all these things. And then when you would go turn around and look it up and those are all symptoms of quitting smoking. So, and irritability and, and all that other kind of stuff. So it, it maybe there is something there with the Shantix, but you also have to look at how many of those 544 and the other things are actually just, um, people mistaking the symptoms from one thing and associating with that, that I'm taking Shantix, but you have to remember when you start taking Shantix, you're not just taking Shantix. Say, ah, say that three times fast. <laughs> you're not just taking Shantix. You're also quitting smoking. There's two different factors there that you have to consider. And that's the same kind of, and I think that's kind of what Jonathan was, where he was going with that was 
you know, that's kind of a misinformation type thing. And I think maybe an example of using quitting smoking symptoms for vaping symptoms or the whole seizure thing, you know, that, I mean, these are people who are self-reporting to the FDA. You can't, you know, just like we're arguing people were self-reporting seizures over a certain time period, all that other kind of stuff, what else was going on in their lives, what that could have been making them, you know, have a seizure. Well, same thing with the Shantix and, you know, having suicidal thoughts or actually committing suicide. There's just no way to know. People with mental health issues tend to smoke more than people who don't. So it's really hard to know whether or not that person already had the suicidal thoughts or that intention before they even start taking Shantix. And maybe it was the quitting smoking that was kind of keeping them even, but now they quit smoking and that set them over the edge. So we have to be really careful as advocates to automatically assuming or not, not using same tactics that our adversaries do. It's very tempting to do that, to jump in and do that. But we have to be careful in looking at it the same scientific mindset as we expect them to look at vaping and all these other studies. And now I'm done. I have a quick question, um, which I, I think is just to kind of get it on the record. But and so when a patient is prescribed Chantix, it's, it's not over the counter. You are prescribed Chantix. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know if the removal of the black box warning changes things, but I mean, even just getting a prescription means that you're taking this drug under a doctor's supervision. It's not, you don't just on a whim well, go to the drugstore and decide to start taking Chantix. You have a conversation with your, your primary physician. Right. And I, I, I don't know if it's true or not, but I would, I would at least hope that there's some form of conversation about mental health or understanding psych avail. I don't necessarily know if that's the right term here, uh, going into using Chantix as well, uh, to quit smoking. I don't know. Uh, I never tried Chantix simply out of the fear of all of this. Uh, I'm somebody that lives with, with a lot of mental health issues, depression, anxiety, uh, self-harm. Um, I'm very familiar with self-harm as well. So, uh, when I was trying to quit smoking, um, it was, it was, it was like, I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't go near Chantix. I wouldn't go with like a hundred feet of Chantix because I was like, no, I just rather smoke. Like, I don't, I'm, my brain is already not great most days. And I don't even, it was such a, a thing that I wasn't even going to risk it because of all of, all of those reports, all of that information that went around about Chantix. So well, wasn't it initially some kind of antidepressant or any, I believe Chantix was originally formulated as an antidepressant and then it kind of was like, Oh, this actually helps some people quit smoking. Yeah. Don't quote me, but yeah. I believe that's kind of the story behind it was it was originally formulated as an antidepressant. And like Prozac, I mean, I, my mom suffered from really severe depression. She had a lot of childhood trauma. Um, she quit smoking and ended up replacing that void with food. Um, I've told this story many times before, but um, she took Prozac and she did almost kill herself because of Prozac. So, and not to quit smoking, but just as an antidepressant, here's the stuff to make you feel better. And <laughs> thankfully she like something clicked and she was able to ask my dad for help. And, um, but yeah, you never know what these things are going to do to people. And you, and you're like, again, they, Chantix could certainly be causing issues because maybe they didn't look into the fact that, and again, this is something that, that 
anti-tobacco nicotine people never think to do is what are all these people who are coping with nicotine going to do when you get rid of it? If you have your dream of getting rid of it, because they have in their head, people only smoke or use nicotine because they're addicted, completely ignoring the fact that probably like 80% of the population has tried some kind of nicotine product and only 20% actually become dependent on it because they go back and go, hmm, my brain liked that. I want to try it again. And they completely ignore that factor. You don't instantly become addicted to nicotine. So it's clearly something that the people, it is a choice in the beginning, even to a teenager, when most of us started, there's something that clicks in our brain that didn't click for all of our friends who never became, you know, started regularly smoking. And they always ignore that because what, uh, until you fix that, why we smoke, you're, you're just going to transfer the problem somewhere else. To what? Again, junk food, alcohol, other drugs, you know. Oh, I wanted to bring up this real quick that Pfizer has suspended Chantix due to cancer concerns. Um, yeah, I actually shared that article with, um, with the board yesterday, I think it was, and Daniel brought up, hey, it's a nitrosamine. It's one cancer-causing thing. I, again, I'm not trying to defend Chantix here. I'm just trying to make sure that we are being scientific and we are practicing what we preach, okay, that we want to base it on science. And, you know, she explained that. You know, it's a trace amount. Yeah, you do, we don't want anything to be in there, but what what all has, you know, they're investigating this nitrosamine. <clears throat> but, you know, what is 100% safe? And and the thing that really got to me was that whole, yeah, but they get a pass. Even if this turns out to, oh, yeah, there's this bit of nitrosamine in there, the, the anti-tobacco people will be like, oh, it's still the benefits of quitting smoking outweigh this little risk from Chantix. Yet with vaping, we have to be 100% safe. And any little tiny thing that comes up, our trace nitrosamines or little bit you know, possibility of some kind of particulate or metal, it's like that one thing is enough to you know, question that whether you, they're, they're not as safe, you know, that's, that's not, that risk is not worth trying to use these to quit smoking, you know, it's it just I, oh, so frustrating. <laughs> I, think, I think, I think part of the, I, I don't know, maybe I'm reading more into the Twitter exchange that you had, but um, you know, I, I think one of the things that maybe bolsters people's confidence in a drug like Chantix is the fact that it's gone through pre-market authorization through yeah. FDA um, and that there are, I don't know, in terms of like, post-market surveillance and regular updates and science is always being done. Um, and of course, you know, Pfizer, a drug company is responsible for, you know, batch testing and making sure that things like excess amounts of nitrosamines don't make it into their drugs. But there's that accountability that's built in with the regulations. And so people, the consumer can have confidence that if something does go wrong, we have this kind of reasonable expectation that the authorities, the company or whoever will notify us so that we can we can take you know we can take the appropriate measures and you know i i i get the 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 anti-tobacco argument on this and saying that like well and they keep just they keep pounding this home and it's it's totally false but you know this idea that vapor products aren't regulated and so on and so forth and now as we saw in the hearing last week people are questioning people are questioning the credibility of TIPSAC, the Tobacco Product and Scientific Advisory Committee. 
These are people from the spectrum of, of, of public health, science, industry, and so on. Industry people don't have a vote on TIPSAC. Um, FDA has already come out. They get more out of the conversation between these people than they do about the actual votes. Um, these, these are highly credible, hardworking experts in their field. Even if you don't like what they have to say, they've worked hard to get there and they are relatively trustworthy. Um, I don't know, I can't, I can't necessarily say that about the CDC right now, but the people who are on that committee are dedicated to what they do and they deserve the respect and credibility that they get. But overall, what's happening now is this, this, this sort of campaign to impugn the credibility of the FDA itself, of the Center for Tobacco Products. It's crazy. And, and it's, it's, it's nonsense. It's like, it's like the last, the, it's like the last little thing that they can do in order to try to wrestle away the authority that the FDA was granted uh, you know, in, in 2009. But the, the, the point of all of this is that we do have this process now and companies are going through the application process. We will see vape, some vapor products approved in the fall. That's, that's my prediction. Yeah. I have confidence. I, I think FDA wants to do this. FDA, Matt Holman was at, uh, uh, was on a panel at GFN uh, he, they sound at the very least curious about the role that flavors are going to play. If they, if they get the, the data that they need, I think FDA will follow through with authorizations and we have the systems in place. We will have manufacturers have to have good manufacturing practices in place. They're going to have to pay for post-market surveillance. All of the stuff that you would expect Pfizer to do for Chantix, vapor companies are going to have to do for their products too. And so, that's that's that just to kind of throw it out there why something like Chantix that is connected to suicides and depression and someone mentioned sleepwalking and you mentioned you know bad mood and all of these other things even if those links are tenuous they are disclosed and there is a system for monitoring that and for people to have this this conversation well at least reporting these events to the FDA we have that in place for vaping now and so hopefully in the future, um, you know, at least organizations like Casaw can highlight that point and say, you know, hey, look, like there's accountability all over the place for this. And, and there's, there's no reason to hold up this imaginary standard of absolute safety in order to keep these products off the market. It's just not, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and just, I mean, just the irony of how self-regulated they did. I mean, as soon as they started finding out about diacetyl or diacetyl or however you say that word, I never, did find out how to say that, um, <laughs> that the, the, the industry largely stepped up and like most of them voluntarily took it off and stopped using it. So, I mean, but yeah, I mean, there is, there is having that, but it, it still seems like they keep hammering that whole, it's not a hundred percent safe thing. And that's so frustrating. And also back to the whole smoking thing I wanted to bring up because Logan had mentioned that he drinks how much coffee after you after you, talk about your coffee habit. Oh, my caffeine. Yeah. After caffeine. Yeah. I mean, after this this ties up. back into recovery and substance use and smoking. Um, but I, I definitely make it known pretty regularly out on Twitter and, and spaces that I, I used to be a, a really heavy methamphetamine user. And uh, when I when I stopped using methamphetamine, the two things that really were what I transitioned to in order to kind of fill those voids were I doubled my smoking. I went from about a pack a day to two packs plus 
for at least a month after stopping uh, meth use, but also caffeine. Uh, caffeine was was like I went from like maybe a cup of coffee a day, if that. I mean, I was using meth. What did I need coffee for? Um, to somewhere in the realm of like. 25 to 3000 milligrams of caffeine a day. I mean, I would wake up in the morning and literally just take four 200 milligram caffeine pills and chase it down with a 24 ounce Red Bull and then continue on just consuming caffeine all day long. Um, but the, the big thing really with all that was, was, was smoking. Like if, if I hadn't had smoking there to like fall back on, something to do, uh, something that I love doing. I love smoking. Um, then I think my path through recovery would have looked and would probably still look very different. Uh, nicotine is something that's very important to me. Uh, it's critical for my mental health. Um, and it was very critical for me transitioning off of drugs that I did have problems with. So, yeah. And then that's kind of my point as far as if you didn't have vaping, then those cigarettes would be that important, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of my, absolutely. And that was kind of my, if I, you know, if, if I had never away. given vaping another chance today, I wouldn't be on the board of CASA and I would absolutely still be smoking. We wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. I would probably be out on my, my porch right now, uh, you know, smoking a cigarette. So, and that, and that kind of answers the, would it have been, is it important for you, for Logan to quit smoking? At that time, no. At that time, no, it wasn't because <laughs> you know, you know I, 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 I had, uh, I had other issues in my life that needed to be resolved first. Uh, they yeah. were the priority. They were what were impacting my life, my health, uh, my friendships, my relationships, my job. Um, yeah, and and smoking didn't do any of that. Smoking right. didn't really affect any of that. My half of my friends smoked. My family smoked. Like. So it didn't affect my relationships, uh, I guess, maybe financially a little bit. I had to buy cigarettes. So there's that. But otherwise, like, no, there were there were other things that were a much bigger priority. Uh, and I was able to take care of those things because I didn't burden myself with this pressure of also having to quit now, uh, quit right. cigarettes now. I was able to focus and prioritize on the things that I needed to make changes in. And later on down the road, I was able to, to address, you know, smoking and I was able to stop smoking as well. But had I tried to do all of that at once, uh, knowing me, I would have said F it and you're welcome, Julie. I, I didn't see that. <laughs> you, you see that? I, I, that's, that would have been me. That would have been my mentality. I would have been like, this is way too much. Like, you know what? I, you guys, are, it's too much. These are too big of expectations. Right. My stress would have gone through the roof and I would have just fallen right back into using and going about my day. And that would have been that because uh, it is it's a lot to ask. Like, it's a lot to it's a lot for somebody to, you know, substance use and go through recovery and stop using uh, a drug that they have a relationship with. They both benefit from and also uh, are experiencing harm from. That is a lot to tackle all on its own. Just that one thing. Yeah. And when we start piling on additional expectations that cause further stress, further anxiety, more depression, like things like this. It's a lot. And a lot of people like when you start adding those things on. Just just say F it. And that 100% would have been me. I'm fortunate enough, like Alex, the recovery center that I went to, which is actually about a block and a half from my house, um, they didn't allow smoking on the grounds, but 
the sidewalk was less than 50 feet away and you could go out on the sidewalk and smoke. So that's where we all, we all went out after, after our group sessions, everyone went right out the door and we all lit up and we just continued to have basically like an out of the building social group session because we would all just continue to talk and congregate and work through things together. And that was actually one of those things where like that conversation because of basically all of us being there smoking after you would leave that room where there's still kind of that pressure, maybe you're not really opening up, you're kind of forced into this group therapy session and things like that. But the conversations that would happen outside while we were all smoking were also extremely beneficial to so many of us because now, now you're just amongst peers. Now you're not with a, a counselor, a therapist, you know, somebody who's taking notes or whatever it may be. Now you're just amongst peers who are all there with you and that social aspect as well can also be really really beneficial to people um so yeah i i i think personally like when it comes to is quitting smoking important uh i think for some people yeah absolutely quitting smoking is important in terms of a person's overall health quitting smoking is absolutely important but it's more about when right and 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 what 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 should really be the priorities right now yeah. And what, one of the reasons I asked about the caffeine is because I was thinking, I, Alex hadn't mentioned the whole, what was it, Rolaids or Tums or whatever? Rolaids, yeah. Rolaids. Yeah, um, now, did that place allow you to drink coffee? Oh, they served no. coffee. Oh, no. Oh, where oh, I went. Yeah, there was, there was a okay. coffee bar. So they were like we 100% had... like abstinence from any you, kind of chemical? Oh. Yeah, there was no no caffeine on the campus. There was one night I, I spent three months in kind of the extended care facility. And on Fridays or Saturdays, they let us order pizza. And uh, one night the delivery, we were supposed to get caffeine free Diet Coke, uh, but he brought regular Diet Coke. And immediately, like when the counselors were sort of out of the living room area, one of the guys was like, dumping the, the the caffeine diet coke into a caffeine free diet coke bottle <laughs> all like taking hits off the bottle of caffeine diet coke it was ridiculous but i mean that's just how starved we were for anything that you know made you made you get the good and feel. you feel that do you, well that's a whole other thing i was gonna say if that if you felt that worked or not but um yeah so i i should sum up my take because logan still has his take to do um yeah just like Logan said, actually, actually, Logan, you just put it pretty, pretty well there. You know, it's but I think when it comes to the Shantix thing, we need to make sure that we're looking at the real science and not making the same mistakes and same, um, maybe uh, not so honest claims like like the ants like to do about vaping. And like Logan said, when it comes to, um, is it important to quit smoking? Yeah, when it's important to you, you know, I think that's the answer. There's really, it's not anybody else's decision whether or not you do that. And uh, thankfully today we have a whole lot of alternatives if they stop banning them. <laughs> so that is my take. Logan, <laughs> sorry, that went a little longer than I expected, but that's you guys okay. both, I, you guys really both I knew you guys would have a lot of stuff to say about that because you've got some experience with it, so. Okay. And Joe, hopefully that answers your questions. <laughs> Probably not. Joe will have more questions. He's always <laughs> full of questions. I always feel like Joe, Joe's like Jeopardy, right? Like he will respond to you <laughs> with a question. Like he's <laughs> like, that's it's always, it's a always question. another question. And I'm like, well, then again, you know, you're, 
you're a science guy. There's always more questions. Yeah, I I will say I I appreciate that immensely. And and one of the things that I I think I have tried to get better at just in conversations with people in general is is acknowledge honoring my own curiosity about things. And if I find myself disagreeing with someone, I don't want to start that response with like, you're wrong. I want to start the response with a question and how can I better understand that person's position? And so I, I know that, you know, uh, Joe, Joe is, a, is, a, is a paid consultant, but I know he has a lot of passion for science, has a lot of passion for this space in particular. Uh, and so I, 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 I thoroughly in, enjoy his, his contributions and his questions. And that whole thread with Ruth, I swear, you know, she just doesn't get it. Oh, and I wanted to, oh, maybe we can do this afterwards, but uh, what's, Breeze Tones made a joke um, about why don't we just ban cigarettes? Um, no. Which, which was the whole, and then he said, that's just parody. So, because I was about to like put it up, and he's like, it's parody. I'm like, okay, I thought you knew better than that. Um, yeah. And Adam, then Adam knows better than that. Yeah. And then uh, Ian put this up about how it's possible to justify that 50% deadly cigarettes. First of all, that stat, not correct, um, are allowed to. Yet a substantially less harmful alternative is not. We got to prove it. We got to prove it substantially less harmful. But banning this stuff, like Alex says on that thread, you know, he says, oh, prohibition works so well. And she said, you know, well, what prohibition was that? (laughs) You know, but she's like, we should just get rid of the, of the, the worst product ever and gives lip service to, oh, yeah, they can use other safer stuff but you know but i said but you're banning that so how how are they supposed to switch to safer stuff what are all these people going to go turn to and like alex brought up he's part of that 30 percent. i was part of that 30 percent because they love to bring up that well 90 percent of people say they regret ever starting and 70 percent say they want to quit well yeah because they want to be good people and the stigma with being somebody who smokes is so horrific that nobody wants to admit that they actually enjoyed it. Um, it's better to just hate to big that. tobacco. I loved smoking. I loved it. And, you know, I thought that I was going to die smoking. So I had, I had no intention of quitting. I was part of that 30%. And that's what a lot of people who switch to vaping are. And uh, yeah, she just doesn't, she doesn't get that. Cause I, I asked her, I said, what about the other 30%? You're saying 70% say they want to quit. Well, first of all, they don't like 2% do. So what are they going to do in the meantime when you just take away? Because she was saying phasing out, you know, it's like they just have this pipe dream, this this delusion that once everybody quits using tobacco and nicotine, they're just going to start eating kale and doing yoga and exercising and, you know, hot well, goat I, yoga. I don't know what they're going to do, but so they'll this, all just have this, to be happy in their heads. You know, this, this this will blend into Logan's take, I swear. Um, but before we get into that, I did just want to note um, with that statistic of, of 30% of people who, who don't want to quit, um, you know, we are in the process of trying to move mountains for an estimated with some early, early research, uh, 20% of people. So if, 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 if policymakers are entertaining banning menthol to help 20% of people who smoke, which may or may not be uh, the, the final, we could be talking about less than that for sure. Um, then it seems that if we want to appeal to people in that 30% range who don't want to smoke, 
then we would also equally take effort to move mountains to make sure that there are products available to them that they will choose on their own. And perhaps right. like me and, 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 uh, and, and the rest of us, we will stumble upon them and find we like them better and, and therefore improve our health. Um, and so with that, I wanna make sure we get into your take, Luke. Okay, well, I promise my take uh, is not gonna be as long as uh, our previous two discussions. Ah, but no. I have some research to share uh, this week if I can figure out how to share things. Sorry, guys, I'm still new here. I wanted to do this earlier, but I was like, I don't know if I set this up, if it's going to like steal the screen. So I that's what I did too. I was like, oops. Um, but I've got it right here. Uh, this is a study from uh, Jonathan Folds uh, and uh, a whole number of other researchers here on this team that you can see. But uh, essentially, uh, and this is a really good study uh, because it is a, a, a random. I'm, I'm drawing. It's it's an controlled. Yes. Thank you. My brain just like my my brain yeah, my brain just like <laughs> just died right there. Um, it's me. I'm just hot, you guys. I'm hot. My office is hot. Uh, but this exploratory analysis uh, examined the effects of ends delivering different amounts of nicotine on cigarette absence abstinence up to 24 week follow up in comparison to a placebo or a behavioral substitute. That behavioral substitute uh, in this study is a cigarette shaped tube um i don't a straw something uh, but, like plastic tube yeah uh but this forearm parallel group randomized placebo controlled trial took place at two academic medical centers in the u.s uh penn state hershey and virginia commonwealth university uh participants were current smokers um uh, interested in reducing but not planning to quit they received brief advice and were randomized to one of four 24-week conditions, receiving either an ego-style ends paired with zero, eight, or 36-milligram nicotine e-liquid. Uh, I'm assuming, I know maybe this is just an assumption to make here, but I'm assuming this is uh, like traditional free-base nicotine and not necessarily salts. It's not disclosed anywhere in here. Um so it could be either way. I don't know how much of a difference that makes. I, I believe that makes a difference, but we don't know here. Um, as And the cigarette-shaped tube as a cigarette substitute, uh, self-reported daily cigarette consumption and exhaled carbon monoxide were measured at all study visits. Outcomes included intent to treat self-reported seven-day cigarette abstinence biochemically confirmed by exhaled uh, CO at 24 weeks after randomization. The results here are pretty interesting. Um, at 24 weeks, significantly more participants in the 36 milligram condition, 10.8% uh, uh, than in the zero milligram uh, per milliliter condition, 0.8%. And uh, those with the, uh, the cigarette shaped tube uh, at 3.1% were abstinent. Uh, the abstinence rate in the eight milligram condition was 4.6. So people using the cigarette shaped tube uh, actually had a higher abstinence rate than people using zero milligram, which I think is really interesting. Uh, the conclusion here, uh, when smokers seeking to reduce smoking tried ends, few quit smoking in the short term. However, if smokers continued to use ends with cigarette like nicotine delivery, a greater portion completely switched to ends as compared with placebo or a cigarette substitute. Uh, so yeah, 
let's break this down a little bit. First, the big highlight here is people, uh, you know, we're kind of looking at people who are interested in reducing, like they say, you're interested in reducing, but not planning to quit. So people who are not planning to quit smoking, uh, we say accidental quitters a lot. Um, these are those folks. Um, higher milligram, closer to cigarette-like delivery, had a higher success rate, had a higher abstinence rate. That was the, that was the most. We're looking at 10.8%. So this right here is one of those, my, my first take is for, for folks out there who are up in arms against higher milligram or, uh, you know, incumbent tobacco company vapes that are higher milligram sold in gas stations, things like this, convenience stores. We talk about accidental quitters. Uh, <coughs> harm reduction 101, meet people where they're at. Where do people go to buy their cigarettes? Those products are available there. We, we see the science is showing us that those products that have higher milligrams, uh, higher nicotine content, uh, those people have a better chance. So particularly people who are not necessarily interested in quitting, who might go, you know what, while I'm here, give me one of those, you know, one of those off the shelf. Give me one of those. I'm going to give it a try. Uh, this right here shows that products like that that exist out there for people uh, accidental quitters they have a a, a pretty good chance uh the interesting he, thing here though or one of the interesting things is that that zero milligram down at 0 0.8 but then that that substitute at 3.1 and i have i have kind of a theory here uh and again this is just like my take right my take here is kind of that expectation versus reality and satisfaction if i'm given a straw my expectations for satisfaction are baseline nothing. I'm not expected to be satisfied. I'm not expecting this, this cigarette-shaped tube to satisfy any sensory inputs, any nicotine cravings. It's not going to satisfy those things. So I'm kind of going into it like, okay, this is, this is what it is. If I have any intention or maybe this is going to help me, it will. But no real expectations for satisfaction where if you're given zero milligram you've got a lot of sensory things going on. You've got the hand to mouth, you've got the visual of inhaling something, exhaling something, seeing it. You've got taste. If I don't know if these were, they don't say anywhere here whether they were flavored or not. So we don't know that, but if they were, you've I got- I think it does say tobacco or menthol were the two options, I believe. Is that here somewhere? It might've been in the full, is that the full one? Or is that just the abstract? I think this is just the abstract here, so possibly right yeah uh, i'm pretty so sure it was tobacco or with the zero milligram there's a lot of sensory things happening uh for people mm -hmm. but what they're not necessarily getting is that nicotine craving that satisfaction so one thing i've heard a lot of just out in the multiverse is you know it just wasn't enough right like i just i tried it but it, something was missing it just wasn't enough um, and, and this is that, I think, I think people got a lot of the sensory out of it. It very much reminded them of smoking, but it didn't have the nicotine. And that was, that was what was missing there. So there's that expectation of, okay, well, I'm, I've, I've got all this sensory, I'm kind of getting it, but I'm not satisfied. And that's the reality that sits in. Whereas if you're just given a cigarette shaped tube, I think your expectations, things like that are different going into it. And you're not, you're not coming up short you're not missing that one component. You're kind of, it's kind of an all or nothing thing there. 
so I think that plays a role. That's kind of my take on that that difference uh, in abstinence between those two groups. But again, the biggest thing to highlight here is that products that are out there that do have closer to cigarette-like nicotine delivery work better for people who may not necessarily have the intention to quit smoking. And I think it's got to be a replacement. Exactly. Got to be a replacement. Exactly. Yeah. So I think. I think, uh, and again, this is a this is a quality. This is a good study. Uh, forearm parallel group randomized placebo controlled trial. Gold standard, like Alex said. Gold standard. Well, I I, I said that a bit in, in in just to reference something. Maybe there's some balancing uh, reference here. Um, Carl Phillips uh, several years ago blogged about um, kind of perhaps the error in placing a whole lot of faith in using randomized controlled trials, trials to investigate tobacco harm reduction. Uh, and so if, if, if people are interested in seeing his critique of all of this emphasis being placed on randomized control trials, um, head over to anti-thrlies.com and just search for RCT in the little I'm search box. I'm definitely going to read that. And, I'm, and I'm not even going to like tweet about it, though, because yeah. Carl's never nice on Twitter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's sometimes nice on Twitter. But... Um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, in the, in the realm of studies, this is better than, than some that fall much shorter. Yeah. I mean, when we talk about things, research that the public will accept and policymakers will accept, um, randomized control trials are viewed as the gold standard. Uh, but I think that there's some, certainly there's room for critical discussion here about how accurate that might be, how useful that information might be, because randomized control trials aren't being carried out in the real world. Uh, and so uh, it, it's, I think it's important to have more kind of real world and in real world investigations, I think are gonna be more likely to, to, to tease out some of these, these nuances. This whole conversation we had about, is it important for someone to quit smoking? Well, those, you know, a randomized control trial is just looking at, you know, product exposure results kind of thing in a, in a very controlled environment. Um, right. but, but opening that up to other research and teasing out more nuances, I think, is, is absolutely critical to this. So, yes, while people will accept an RCT as, you know, something credible enough to inform policy, um, certainly the debate is not robust unless we have some of these real world uh, studies. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it actually is a, a very much similar to the problems we have with dietary studies, because what people are doing out there and what they're reporting when they come back, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm doing this diet study. You know? Yeah. I ate a bunch of kale and plain boiled chicken breast. I didn't have a pizza. You know, what I mean? And plus they tend to be over time, sort of like snapshots of what people are eating at that time. And so what's going on in somebody's life when they're, when they're either smoking or vaping or, you know, in, that, that And I think Carl has talked about that, too, about that risk of who are you going to attract to some of these things? Are they already going to be predisposed for wanting to quit smoking um, despite what they say? You know, uh, I found that one article that we talked about that shall not be named right now because we're not going to talk about it. But <laughs> but that, that it, it spoke about people who call themselves or consider themselves non-smokers even though they smoke or consider themselves non-vapers, even though they vape. Sure. That, that self-perception. There's a lot of, a lot of stigma that's it's involved really in, interesting. in those responses, I think. It's fascinating. I would, I would, so there's so many factors that make it hard. 
And this actually made me think your study actually kind of brings me back to that whole Ruth Malone thing was talking about, she said, well, we need to phase them out, you know? And my point was they were being phased out. Consumers were moving in droves to other products until public came out, health came out against those two, you know, and do things like nicotine caps and flavor bans and higher taxes. And, you know, that's, this is a good argument. This study is a good argument for not having those nicotine caps and letting consumers choose. Because if you truly want to phase out cigarettes, just phasing them out and forcing people is not going to be nearly as effective as people choosing to migrate over to those things, just like people are choosing to migrate over to smartphones instead of cell phones or cell phones instead of home phones or pay phones, you know, it's going to, if it works, the market's going to make a difference. You know, did I, did I, I don't know why I glitched so bad. Like Max Hedrum. (laughs) I'm about to glitch for a minute though. You guys We're on uh, an hour and 40 right now. And I've drank a lot of water today. (laughs) So give me just a minute. Uh, Alex, I'm sure has a little bit more to say about this. And then here very shortly, we'll get into our deep dive. I'll be right back though. I promise I will return. Well, I've been sitting here waiting to get to the deep dive because we've got, you know, 20 minutes. It's making fun of you. uh, Left. Um, and and I, I I promise that the 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 deep dive can be uh, not so deep because uh, I I'm gonna make a rhyme because you know the sleep and stuff that we talked about at the beginning. So while we're waiting for uh, Logan to go to the bathroom, I don't have anything prepared to fill dead air except for talking about dead air. Um, that Ruth Malone thread was really interesting. I would really say people should go and see that because it's just this example of of this delusion that tobacco, so many tobacco control people have that there's just going to be that you take away all the drugs, you take away all the bad stuff, and everybody's just magic unicorns and rainbows, and you know it, it just completely ignores human nature, and they just. Because they have in their head that nicotine, the only reason people use nicotine is because they're addicted to it. They refuse to understand that there's a reason why people started, you don't instantly become addicted to it, you know? Yeah, I, I will. So, yeah, and I've said this many times. First of all, I think, you know, when we have these conversations about, you know, the, the theory about what people are going to do when you can't buy cigarettes in a convenience store anymore. Um, first of all, it, it's it's all hypotheticals, kind of. I mean, we've got some evidence, right? We have prohibitions in the past that we know have failed. We have current prohibitions on drugs that we know are failing uh, and actively harming people. Uh, and and then, you know, I, the thing that kept sticking out in my mind was like, you know, in the throes of my addiction, um, one of the people who sold me cocaine was actually in high school. So, you know, if you can't keep things like that out of a walled fortress like a prison or a, a heavily monitored place like a school, um, what makes you think that banning the retail sale of these products for adults is, is going to keep this out of society? Every, all of these, all of our borders, everything is porous. And people, not only will they find a way to access these products, but the folks who know that they can make truckloads of money off of selling them are going to find a way to make that money. And the other thing that's really, really important here and is, is, is we are going to have this conversation. We are having this conversation, maybe not at the, the the, the, with the same attention uh, that, that uh, we are having other conversations. But when we talk about decriminalizing drugs and, and I think eventually getting to a place where we have a regulated marketplace for things like, yes, 
heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, you name it. The real key thing here is safe supply. So if you think that people will just stop manufacturing cigarettes. Or stop then, growing tobacco. Then then you are naive. <laughs> well, tobacco will continue being grown. There are exactly. for tobacco outside of smoking it. You just uh, have people who you know, smoking they're talking too. about we're, we'll just we'll just focus on the cigarette right now. I mean, I know, you know the difference between bootleg cigarettes and, and bootleg e-liquid is it's a lot harder to, to manufacture cigarettes, but it will happen. It is happening. There are certain, uh, you know, unsavory organizations out there that benefit from prohibition and they will absolutely jump at the opportunity. Uh, we saw that there was an article. I can't remember if it was this week or last week, but it was the the folks that got that got uh, pinched for like they had like two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of uh, drugs and uh, and e-liquid flavored e-liquid. Right. They were, I believe it were they were they caught in Massachusetts. It's somewhere in New England. Um, and so there's a New Hampshire man, and the Massachusetts AG was so happy that they got that horrible uh, e-liquid flavors off the market. Right. Yeah, well, Maura Healy, I'm sure was 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 happy to have a photo for her collection of, of cops standing behind card tables with contraband on top of it, with one dollar um, bills fanned out across the front. Yeah, I mean, it is it's astonishing to me how officials in states that are at least claiming to <clears throat> be participating in ending the racist drug war um, are just picking up the mantle and, and going right into another drug war. Um, so anyway, the, the point is that, you know, e-liquid, first of all, nicotine has been democratized, just like a lot of information and science. So it's easy to make these products. Um, I've said a time and again, either here and in, in, in other conversations with people for a minimal investment, I can set up an e-liquid manufacturing operation in my home. It's not going to be high quality stuff. And there's no assurances that there aren't, it's not full of impurities, but I can do it. I can sell it and I could probably pay my mortgage. So it, 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 to think that these things are just going to disappear is absolutely naive, arguably cruel. Uh, and we know that there is a better way to go about this. And that's why I brought up the car lighter in my thread. Automakers just stopped putting them in there because consumers didn't want it anymore. They want that outlet for, to plug in their devices. I needed to plug in a GPS or an iPod or uh, you know something that I'm not going to pay attention to while I'm driving. I need to plug in my, <laughs> my e-cigarette charger. That's yeah. what I need to do. Be careful if you're sure in Canada that you're... because that e-cigarette could get you a ticket because it's electronic. That that's an interesting story too. I well, maybe we'll cover we'll come back. We we'll have to come back, back to that one because we, we need to get, get on to our, our deep dive, deep dive here today, guys. Segway, Alex. Alex, segue into uh get Are you ready? Are you re was that your segue? Do you do you have a bumper for this? Yeah. We Just do, like and that. that's the bumper right there. Thank you, Danielle <laughs> Jones, for the incredible bumpers. Maybe we'll get a legislative rundown one soon. <laughs> I, I, I sweet-talked her last week. I started it out, and I was like, Danielle, you're incredible. You're amazing. I appreciate all the hard work that you do. And I went on and on. And then I was like, like, what? What's wrong? What? <laughs> she was, I was just like, could we get a legislative rundown bumper? And she was like, Logan, my heart. <laughs> she, she told me the, uh, the, it's not you, it's me conversation. <laughs> like, like this was about to happen. And I was like, no, 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 no. I just wanted to schmooze you a little bit before I asked you for things. <laughs> but uh, all right. So this week's deep dive, Alex, what do we got for a deep dive this week? 
Well, I figured, and and I, I know we're 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 sort of at the end of the time here, so and which is fine. This works out because I I don't think I have a whole lot here. Um, I was trying to put this together, you know, a few hours before we went live, um, but. I think a really important topic is purchase, use, and possession laws, or PUP laws. Yeah, PUP laws. Um, I, I, I figured it was probably, you know, since a lot of the a lot of the time when we talk about stuff that's happening to to vaping and tobacco harm reduction, a lot of it feels like we're complaining and criticizing without really offering any solutions. And I think that's something that that we can be perceived that way. Of course, our our solution here is we we want access to safer products and 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 I guess we just have to be a broken record about it. Um, but uh, you know it, it's I think important to propose uh, or highlight. Um, hold on, I'm going to get to the appropriate thing here. Um, Did you want highlight to some solutions that are already available uh, and. Um, the, the one when I think about conversations that parents and teachers and, and kids even need to have with each other, with their kids, uh, I, I think it's important to, to point out that, that the Drug Policy Alliance has put together a drug education course. Uh, this is evidence-based, science is informing all of this stuff, uh, and, uh, and they do have a section on vaping in here. And uh, this is going to be much more constructive and empowering than any of the scared straight marketing stuff. I know that people respond to fear and drama, but wouldn't it be better to educate folks so that they can make better decisions and uh, and for, for teenagers and adults, of course, uh, to find different ways to cope with whatever it is that we're coping with that is inspiring us to use. Whether, you know, whether it's peer pressure or some deep-seated psychological issue, there are coping mechanisms available. There are ways for people to find them. And so I just want to make sure that we've got some common sense, evidence-based programs for people to turn to. And Logan, you held up the pamphlet. What's what's your experience been with this? I, I know that we had talked about this before. I think you've shared some of this with, with your own kids. Yeah. How's yeah. that going? Uh, for, really well. Um, I'm, again, I'm a parent. I have, uh, I have two daughters, uh, 11 and eight. So we're, we're getting towards that, you know, age of curiosity. We're going to be in high school before we know it. These are conversations that I, I openly have with my kids, uh, about substance use, about drugs in general, about smoking and vaping, drinking. Um, and the DPA does a really, really incredible job at first and foremost, highlighting uh, that this is not promoting drug use to teenagers, right? This is not, uh, hey, kids, go do drugs. That's not what this is. This is acknowledging uh, that some teenagers are going to experiment. Like and safe instead sex. Of, sure. And instead of approaching this with only abstinence-based education where it starts and ends at don't do drugs, you know, that's really our approach. Uh, most that. of the time, that's that's kind of the conversation uh, that it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't work. Uh, sure, there are teenagers out there who are going to hear don't do drugs and they're going to say, OK, I won't do drugs. Um, but all too often we're failing our youth by not educating them on what substances are and what they can do to remain safe if they choose uh, to use them. If they're in a situation like Alex said, and peer pressure 
all these things, you know, um, those those social constructs when you're a teenager in high school are very, very important. How your friends feel about you and view you, what your social groups are like, your confidence, your self-esteem, all those things are extremely, extremely important in those those years. And all too often, teenagers are in a situation where they have an opportunity to fit in with their friends or whatever it may be, peer pressure and drugs get involved. Or if, like Alex also said, there's something going on and, and teenagers are looking to cope or deal with, with problems and issues they may be having, drugs may be available, that seems like a logical option to them. Uh, we're not educating teenagers. We're not educating the public really in general, but we're really particularly not educating teenagers on things that they can do to remain safe or to use safer. Uh, so that way we don't, we don't hopefully experience tragedies and, and overdose, fatal overdoses and things like this. But yeah, uh, safety first, uh, is a great, great program. Uh, it's available to literally everyone, I would encourage if you are somewhere in a school, if you work in a school, education, anywhere to bring this, uh, bring this up, take this to whoever you can take this to. Uh, but these these booklets uh, are also free. I just want people to know that you can go right on to drugpolicyalliance.org and you can get these. They're free. You have to pay for shipping. But the actual the booklets, uh, which they also do another really great one, which is called Beyond Zero Tolerance. And this is more for like secondary school and beyond high school. Uh, but this this these resources are available to literally anyone who wants to sit down and have these conversations with their kids. And I would definitely encourage people to do that. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's all great stuff. I have a whole bunch of stuff also from DPA as well. That's all. It's all free, and I would definitely encourage people to go get it because because it, it's definitely it's definitely a really good thing. And I just I just think that's like Alex said, it's just a much better approach. Like we know from programs like Dare how much of a failure those tactics are uh, to a first introduce teens to uh, hey we're going to talk about drugs. We're you know. Uh, but then at the end, we're just going to say, don't do this thing. And that's the end of the conversation. Uh, and, and all too often, now you've raised a whole bunch of curiosity and not given them any actual pragmatic um, solutions to when they come across these things. And, and, yeah. and that's a big issue. Now you go, OK, well, hey, I learned in health class that uh, this drug makes you feel really, really great. I currently feel really, really bad, but they told me not to do it. You know what I mean? Like you're setting kids up to fail uh, through that approach. And it's 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 really destructive and it's really harmful. And there are better ways that we could be going about it. And this is one of them. Yeah. So I figured that was probably a really good place to start since we are um, <laughs> getting into, I think, criticism of uh, a very popular policy across the country, which is criminalizing purchase use and possession by young people or, or uh, folks who are under the age of 21, depending on where you live. Um, and this is a thing, this is something that, um, you know, a lot of people in the industry point to, I think a lot of people generally, this sort of makes sense to them. We are we're sort of stuck in this archaic belief that, you know, punishment and is, is the way to change behavior uh, and, and tough love will, will change kids' minds. It will reform criminals and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, but, you know, certainly there are some people who, if for the protection of society, probably should be 
confined or, or separated from society. I'm not saying that we need to do away with incarceration, um, but uh, the, the circumstances that lead to someone getting jammed up in the, the criminal justice system, that's, I think, where we can have the most effect on, on keeping people out of prison uh, and, and making sure that people can, uh, can grow and change and lead the productive, happy life that they want uh, without being a danger to themselves or others. Um, so when we talk about preventing kids from having access to uh, adult products, but we'll just keep it on tobacco for now, um, a lot of the enforcement is carried out on retailers, right? You have stings, you have fines, uh, depending on where you are in the country, those fines can be severe or they can be, you know, a slap on the wrist. Um, and so this was sort of the most obvious, when you talk about limiting access, well, go for the access points, hold the retailers accountable and levy these fines that will be significant enough that they'll remember you're not supposed to sell to kids. Uh, you need to go through a, a diligent age verification process. Uh, and of course, if you have certain things in place, if you've got the scanners, if you have your employees are trained, you can prove that you have a training program uh, and that, that the clerk followed all of the rules. In many cases, that will get you out of having a, being uh, uh, fined. Um, and so these are all these are all very important. Uh, but a lot of people in the industry sort of look at that as, as kind of an unfair attack. And a lot of the rebuttal to that is, well, parents should just parent. They need to take care of their kids. Uh, and if your kid is out there doing drugs, then it's a failure of you as a parent. Um, and so the recommendation, of course, oddly, is to have the state step in and level these penalties at young people. Um, and, and as we know from recent events, kids aren't necessarily getting jammed up in the criminal justice system because they were smoking or vaping. They're getting jammed up because maybe their response to cops approaching them wasn't all that great. It was motivated by their own fear of the police or just being a teen. Immature, dumb kids. <laughs> whatever. I mean, we all, we've all done stupid things. So, it, it, but for some kids, depending on the color of their skin or the neighborhood that they live in, that simple approach of, hey, you're violating a policy can very quickly escalate into something that results in injury, death, incarceration, and a lifetime of having to deal with some mark on your permanent record that's not really smoking or, or nicotine related. It's resisting arrest. It's trespassing. It's something. Uh, and so it, it ends up sort of creating these additional problems that aren't ultimately discouraging kids from using drugs or tobacco. The other thing, I, I, I sifted through a few studies and I apologize for giving just sort of a, a cursory review of this, um, but you know, a lot of times we imagine that this tough love is going to keep kids away from doing things. In, in reality, I, I, maybe that's too strong of a word, but one of the, the things that some of this research has revealed is that in, in practice, what ends up happening is it, it actually ends up undermining that parent-child relationship or teacher-child relationship. And, and so I, I'm not exactly clear on how that works, but it, it's, it, it's, you know, people just sort of giving all their power over to the state to enforce these rules, when in reality, 
we need to be giving parents tools like this material, like these materials from the Drug Policy Alliance to have more constructive conversations with their kids, to create an atmosphere where, where people can be open and honest about what they're going through. Instead, when we're criminalizing purchase, use, and possession, we're actually making targets out of kids. And, 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 and there are, of course, other problems here. So when we think, I, first of all, I, I, I guess I should probably make this clear, like at the end of the day, PUP laws aren't really all that effective. That's, that's what the research is, is showing. Uh, there are problems with enforcement. Uh, cops it, it, and detectability is one of the things that came out. And this is smoking. These are these are studies that were done before vaping became popular. So even with cigarettes, law enforcement or public health officials, whoever is charged with with enforcing these laws, <clears throat> they're not necessarily seeing kids breaking the law. Uh, if you, first of all, kids know that they're not supposed to be smoking. It's it's whether it's against the law or not. It's unpopular, typically disapproved of, and so they're going to hide. Most of us who have had any kind of experience with substance use know that the safest place to do drugs is out of sight, out of mind. Um, I, I did a lot of drugs in the privacy of my own home um, because I didn't want to have to deal with other people's judgments. And did, I didn't even really, I mean, yeah, the laws, sure, that's a thing, but I was more concerned with the social stigma of, of, of drug use. Um, and so I just kept it private, which is another thing. Again, we get back to that in creating an environment of open and honest conversation about what people are going through. If you've so severely stigmatized all of the substance use, cigarettes included, people are going to hide that away. And it's less likely that you're going to be able to have this open conversation. So it's not just, I mean, certainly the most, I think dramatic and visible thing are the events that we saw on the boardwalk in Ocean City a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, where these kids are, are, are being, uh, I, I'm trying to cruelly, there is that it, it, police violence is a thing. I mean, it's just it, when you're slapped in handcuffs, that's technically, you know, that's violence. Um, but this was above and beyond that. Um, so we saw that reaction. But the 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 undermining the parent-child relationship, the undermining a a, a, a a close adult or or friend type of relationship that these kids might have, is all about that, um, you know, encouraging them to hide away these issues, keep it secret, and not talk about it in a constructive way. Um, and, and I'd so like to highlight too, just really quick, in the case of a lot of drugs, that hiding away, that isolation, also really dramatically increases people's uh, risk for overdose, uh, fatal overdose. Um, so yeah, it's not just necessarily like we can't have those conversations, but that stigma, that hiding, that shame, that isolation could very well also lead to someone's death and does uh, very regularly. Yeah. And in the case of, of cigarettes, um, now, you know, someone has found a, a hiding place where they can engage in the, the, the reinforcing aspects of, of yeah, using, absolutely. you know, regularly or, you know, more than once. Um, so, yeah, and, and uh, some of these other studies, I, I'm not dropping a bunch of links to these studies in, in here yet. Uh, I guess maybe we can uh, include some of this in there. And actually, you know, one of these studies is from uh, the Tobacco Control Journal, which uh, Ruth Malone is, I believe, the editor of Tobacco Control. Um, and she's, it's, it's one of the Tobacco Control Journals. Um, uh, you know, ultimately it is, uh, there is some, there's a slight 
improvement in terms of discouraging young people from using these products, but it's ultimately not worth it. There's that, there's a real money cost here of, of charging officers to enforce this law. Um, and, 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 and then there, I think there was another study that looked at four different uh, counties in Kentucky. There's inconsistencies across the board. I mean, right now today, we have a patchwork of these laws. A pup law in one state is different than a pup law in another city. Uh, and so there's confusion over what agency actually has authority to enforce it. Uh, and so in, in some of those cases, law enforcement will just sort of back off, like, I'm not really sure that we're supposed to do this, things like that. Um, and it, it really just is, is it's, it's more, it, well, it's easier for the regulators and the enforcement agencies to have that contact with shop owners. Uh, and I, I think ultimately this can be, um, you know, some of the folks in the industry, uh, and I, I, I think I sort of tentatively uh, support this, folks in the industry are advocating for stricter penalties on bad actors. Uh, this is not something that we've ever heard from tobacco companies. In fact, one of the things that comes up in a lot of this research on pup laws and something that I know that we've said, I know Kristen said this several times, you, you and Julie are the ones who sort of enlightened me to this. The whole idea of criminalizing purchase use and possession by young people was something that tobacco companies lobbied for. Uh, it was a way to sort of shift the focus off of the retailer and put it on the, the kids. Um, and it also, it, there are some accusations leveled at tobacco companies that, you know, taking the focus off of, off of the retailers and the tobacco companies themselves, uh, it, it's about taking the focus off of the marketing practices that tobacco companies used to get away with. And I want to underscore that used to get away with because we have a law in this country now, we have other regulations in this country that prevent them from marketing their products in that way. It's not the same in the rest of the world. In the United States, we do have those marketing restrictions. I, I, it's another tangent here, I'm sure. I'm not gonna go down a rabbit hole. Um, Look at, I, I, I'm, I commend you for that restraint that I just, that we just witnessed there. Cause I could see, I could just see, I could see it boiling up in you. Yeah. So, but the, the, the point is that, you know, tobacco companies, do favor the purchase use and possession laws for all of the, the, the sort of intuitive statements that were made. That tough love is the only way to get through to these kids. And, you know, if, if, or, or, you know, if retailers are going to be held accountable for this, then, then kids need to be held accountable, for, held accountable for this. Their parents need to be held accountable in, in places where there are fines. Um, you know, fines can be up to $500. I was actually just reviewing the law in Arizona that we are supportive of. Um, uh, but it, unfortunately, Arizona has a purchase use and possession law. The penalties can be steep uh, and or it, it, they, they can be steep and they can be sort of slap on the wristy. Um, one of the things that was added to uh, the law, and this is sort of this is something I think on the, this is this is a more appropriate way to look at the purchaser doing something wrong uh, in a way that that puts the retailer at risk. A retailer who is following the rules uh, has a training program in place to, to make sure that clerks are, are carding people appropriately is that if you use a fake ID, that's a crime. Uh, it's actually a petty offense in Arizona. Uh, if you persuade someone who is of age to go buy the, the cigarettes for you, 
that's punishable, that's a petty offense. Um, and so these are things that are sort of common sense. Making a fake ID, that's kind of a huge issue. I, I don't I don't think we want people getting away with making fake IDs. That's a whole different crime in itself. So I mean, right. it's... I acknowledge there are, I think there are some, some social just, justice uh, points to be made about why someone would feel the need to make a fake ID. Uh, and so that, that is another conversation. We'll just keep it here to purchasing tobacco products. Um, that to me is fair game. Uh, in terms of, of punishing a young person for making a fake ID in order to buy cigarettes. Uh, as long as that punishment is appropriate, though. Right. And, and in Arizona, like I said. Right. If we're just going to if we're, if we're continue down the path of punishment, like, it has to be a fair and appropriate punishment. Right. You know, if and we're going to punish children, in, I just in, would like to highlight Arizona, that we should do it appropriately. And in, in Arizona, just as an example, it is a petty offense. Um, which I don't, different states have different words for different degrees of, of crime. Um, but a petty offense is not a huge thing. You're not going to go to jail. There's yeah, not a massive We're not tying kids in up in, in, in the criminal justice system, leaving permanent marks on their criminal records, things like things that are going to affect them for literally the rest of their life. Uh, then I would agree that as right. long as that punishment is appropriate and isn't something that's going to, you know, prevent them from succeeding later on when they're simply making poor judgments or, or breaking the law, you know, when they're young, then, then yeah, I would agree. Well, as long as that punishment okay. is appropriate. Yeah. All right. Okay. Can I, can yeah, I yeah. interject now? Okay. <laughs> I've been sitting here waiting to jump in. Um, when it comes to pup laws, there's a bunch of things that people need to think about. Well, first of all, the point that Alex made you know, I see all the time people, vapors will jump in on threads and stuff and say, well, you know, it's the kid's fault. The kids are ruining the industry. It's the parents' fault because they're not watching their kids um, and blaming the children. And then later on, you're getting called bots and shills for big tobacco. And now you know why, because as far as tobacco control is concerned, the only people who push this stuff, who push pup laws, who push punishing the kids is the tobacco industry. So you sound exactly like the tobacco industry when you're pushing for these things. Um, aside from the fact that those kids would not get those things if not for the fault of an adult somewhere in that chain of custody of that product, an adult was culpable. An adult sold to somebody they shouldn't have or gave it to the kid. So you can't blame the kid for that. Some adult was somewhere there, even if it's they used a fake ID on a website or something, that is the adult's responsibility to make sure that the, the likelihood of that happening is really low. And so if you're, so you can't blame the kids. And, and the, the whole thing about we've raised the age to over 21 um, because supposedly anyone under that age is not mature enough, is not, and I made this point last week when we were talking about what happened in Ocean City of treating those 19-year-old boys as adults when supposedly their brain isn't formed, they're not mature enough to make the kind of decisions to handle stuff that adults should only be able to make a decision for. You can't hold them to that same standard of an adult. And we're coming, we're trying to do a reversal right now all across the country of, of decriminalizing and um, 
scaling back, treating drug use as a crime or even as some kind of offense of any kind. And yet we're seeing an increase in trying to treat kids for the same reason. Here's a kid who is trying to do a drug of some kind. It's a mild drug, yes, but it's but then you want to punish them. Well, we've seen for years with the war on drugs that punishing people for doing drugs doesn't do anything. So why do you think punishing kids for doing drugs is going to do anything? You know, and that's one of the reasons is that the the anti-tobacco people, if you go to any of those websites, they are opposed to pop laws. So if you're one of the, if you want to piss off somebody who is anti-tobacco, start throwing punish kids in there for them and you're going to lose their ear really quick. And I think we as vapors need and, and advocates for tobacco harm reduction need to just get away from this whole thing. I understand your anger when you're, you're a business owner um, and you feel like the kids doing it is a problem, but it's not the kids doing it. Kids have always done it. Kids have always done all these things. It should have been expected that they would try it. It's the bad actors in the industry who are letting the kids do it and the bad actor, actors in their social circle. There's some adult there. If it's not, if it wasn't a, a, a gas station selling to somebody, it's somebody who was an adult legal to buy it and is now giving it to the kids because there's really no other way for these kids to get a hold of these things. So you can't, you can't, they're kids, they're children. And to, and to blame. And the other thing that really gets to me is to blame the parents. I mean, that is so hypocritical. I, I don't know a single parent who knows everything their teen is doing all of the time. And, and that's just ridiculous. I, like I've said earlier in the show, my daughter, I've been, I've been a tobacco harm reduction advocate since 2009 when my kids, my older kids were like 10, 11, 12, in that age group, they left the house and started smoking. You know, I mean, they started trying stuff when they were teens. It was pot first, but <laughs> they didn't smoke cigarettes. Mom, I didn't smoke cigarettes. <laughs> but my, my, my youngest, well, my one who's a teen now, not the youngest youngest, um, who's an adult now, actually, as a teen, she started smoking. We had her in therapy. We were paying for all this stuff. We were doing everything we could. We were hands-on parents. I'm a work from home mom. They got, we had dinners around the table. We tried to get a talk. We had therapy. We did everything that you would think we'd do. We were good examples. We didn't smoke ourselves. And yet she still started smoking. So you can't blame parents for everything either. Sure. And, and, and it's like you want your kids to go out and you want them to socialize and have a life and go to yeah. sports and go to the movies with their friends and you want them to do these things. And then if they end up doing something, you know, like experimenting with drugs or smoking or what have you, then people turn around and go, you know, oh, well, it's your fault. But then at the same time, you also want them to have like, like it's a really conflicting message that just doesn't reflect the way that the world works. Like you yeah. can't you can't want your kids to have a social life and to do these things. And you can't also simultaneously be like, Oh, I need to watch them 20%. Like you can't have both. So and I, I don't know if most of the people. Some, yeah. Some and I don't know if most there. people who say these things aren't parents of teens themselves. That's all I can think of because any parent of a teen who's ever been a parent of a teen would know these things that you can be the greatest parent in the world. I mean, my parents were awesome parents. You know, they were very conscientious. They were very loving. They were, they, you know, helped whenever they could. And yet we all became, you know, all, every one of my, my two siblings, myself all started smoking. You know, I mean, I got drunk and crashed my dad's car. <laughs> so I mean, when I was like 18, so, I mean, 
the and I was a I was a halfway decent kid. I got good grades. I wasn't out doing lines. I wasn't you know doing anything that you know. I was I wasn't a horribly bad kid. I had made a couple mistakes, and the other thing too is from the other aspect of this is you have to remember when you're coming back and arguing. It's the kid's fault. It's the kid's fault. You are now supporting their BS claim that there's an epidemic, that that there's a bunch of kids being addicted. You know, by every, do you see what I'm saying? It's like you're you're they're going. There's a teen epidemic, and and we need to ban all this stuff. And you're coming like, yeah, well, we need to blame the teens. Well, now you've just verified, yeah, there is an epidemic, but it's the teens' fault. First of all, that makes you sound like an ass. I'm sorry, Julie, but that's the best word to use there. Um, but you're also verifying. You're also supporting this claim that there's an epidemic when really it's most kids taking one or two puffs over the it was a fad and people were and kids weren't becoming addicted so but now you're sitting there verifying it by agreeing yeah there is an epidemic but it's the kids fault not ours i mean do you just look at the optics of that and so that's one of the reasons why we do not support pup laws is a they don't work b they make you look like the worst people in the world and and any any Governments who are passing this are completely misinformed on it. I mean, it, it, the the adults should be punished, not the children. The adults, the adults who started the chain, who were the beginning of the chain of custody that somehow it got to this kid. There were some adults in there, whether they gave it to a kid illegally or they sold it to a kid illegally. That had to have happened for that kid to get that in their hand. And that's the stance we have to take is people have to be good behave on their best behavior. You know, we, we can't allow this bad behavior, but we can't punish kids for being kids. We take hold the adults accountable in that chain. And that's right. my spiel on that. Yeah. <laughs> well thank you. Thank you for thank you for, for that perspective. I mean, both of you are parent I'm not a parent, but I, I value both of your your perspectives as as people who used to smoke and people who have and are raising children. Um, and I to to you know add on to what you're saying about it, you know being angry at the parents. You know, it's kind of hard to be angry at parents who've been given some really lousy resources. Yes. And that, that's why we started this segment with something that I believe is going to be very beneficial to people. And that is this this program that, that the folks at the Drug Policy Alliance have put together. I, you know, we we grew I grew up with dare and scared straight stuff. And, you know, and, and it, it failed. All it did was stigmatize people and, and make kids more curious about drugs. So it, it yeah it's it's impossible to be angry at, at parents and kids when we and they're know probably smoking. when, when we know that they're being underserved. The parents themselves, I mean, because yeah, yeah, that's children, the other. kids who start smoking or who start smoking, mostly are two times as likely to have parents who smoke. So you're blaming people who are already suffering from the same situation where they're they're so, dependent on this smoke and. So the, you know, the, the, the numbers income, are, yeah. the, the numbers are, and we'll get back to the, the, the one bumper sticker tagline that I think Kassaw should have. Um, and and uh, that is, uh, if you want to save the kids, you got to save the parents. Uh, yeah. if, uh, if, you're, if, your dad smokes, if your dad smokes, you have something like a 90 or 87% chance of, of growing up to, to smoke yourself as a kid. Uh, if mom smokes, you have like a 92% chance of smoking. 
if mom and dad smoke, it goes up to 94% chance. So yes, mom and dad or close family members, whoever's modeling the behavior, uh, it's, it's, it's regarded as normal in that home. Uh, that is going to be one of the biggest determinants as to whether or not a young person ends up smoking. Um, so yeah, uh, the other thing I want to point out really quickly that I think a lot of people don't know because I didn't know about it until uh, I think several years ago, um, as per the Tobacco Master Settlement Agreement, and this doesn't absolve tobacco companies of anything, but uh, as per the Master Settlement Agreement, tobacco companies are not allowed to lobby against pop laws, which is bizarre. So crazy. Absolutely bizarre. This is in the settlement. I don't know if it was the tobacco companies that put that in there or if it was just one of those things where tobacco control uh, said, you know, look, we're not going to give you any opportunity to look like a good player in all of this. Uh, and so the, the lobbying dollars that, that incumbent tobacco companies or any of, the, any of the people who are voluntarily signed on to the master settlement agreement, they are not allowed to spend money lobbying against purchase use and possession laws. Which is weird because they're the ones pushing them. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, just like we're seeing with this change in, you know, with the, the, the tech driven change in, in how nicotine is consumed, uh, tobacco companies are not chis chiseled in stone. They've got a really crummy history, right? There's a lot of dead bodies in the wake of tobacco companies. A lot of industries. But they are capable of evolving. This is one of those things that, you know, I, I find it, it it's, it's, it's just really weird to me. I think it makes this whole, it, it's one of the things that makes my view of tobacco control that they are, are very disingenuous, um, is that why would you tie the hands of companies that are, are actually going to be in a really good position to fix the mess that they created? Um, and that's, I mean, that's a subject for another one of these deep dive segments um, where we can get into the role that, that industry uh, can play in all of this. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things here, you know, is like, we can we can discuss all day long uh, who we should punish, how we should punish them, things like that. But we're not necessarily asking why are teenagers starting to smoke in the first place or why are teenagers using drugs and what those underlying reasons are and how can we address those as opposed to who we punish how harshly we punish and relying on a system of punishment as opposed to a system of compassion and education um i i i that's where like i'm i'm always hesitant to go the route of punishment and that's why i said earlier like if if we are absolutely going to use punishment. It has to be appropriate. And it can't be something that, you know, continues to affect somebody's life for the, you know, forever, uh, just because of a, a menial nonviolent decision that a teenager makes. Like that's, it, it's just not, it's just not fair, period, right? Like that's, that's the bottom line. And it often causes a lot more harm in the long run. And at the end of the day, we still have not addressed the why you know if we're dealing with somebody who's choosing to use drugs because they're dealing with they're trying to cope with trauma so now you have a young person who's been traumatized dealing with mental health issues they're seeking some form of relief whether it's turning to smoking or turning to substance use whatever it may be and our solution to address that person dealing with a crisis or dealing with trauma is punishment which is just more trauma 
what good are we doing? Who are we helping? How is that helping anyone in this situation? And that's been the go-to answer for so long is punish, 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 coerce, coerce, coerce. And it just, it just adds to the problem. It doesn't help anyone. Uh, and so, yeah, like Alex said, and like I've, I've got them here because I think these are fantastic programs. They're really based on compassion, education, honest information, not lying to your kids. Because like Alex talked about earlier, that, that relationship is really a big thing, especially with whether it be smoking, whether it be uh, cannabis or, or whatever. When we tell our kids like, oh, that's bad. That's going to kill you. This is your brain on drugs. And then they go and experiment like teenagers often do. And then guess what? This isn't your brain on drugs. Now that relationship is, you know, it's, it's, it's tarnished. That trust is tarnished. And yep. so there are other things that they may question, you know, well, if that wasn't that risky, then this must not be that risky. Or if that was a lie, then this must also be a lie. And that can be really more severe than maybe your your teenager is hiding out in the woods smoking with a young Alex Clark or something like that. Like that's there there are very serious things that can come about that. And and we really need to be critical and we really need to take a different approach here outside of punishment, coercion, and stigma. We can choose well, compassion and education and understanding and honesty. Yeah. Um, and, and that's my take there. That's that's what I've got for that. I would just encourage people. I, I just I love the Drug Policy Alliance and I love their approach on things like this. And I I know we're just kind of plugging them here, but please, like, seriously, go go check out that information and go. It's available to anyone who wants to read it. It's available to parents and teachers and educators. Please go check it out. I mean, piggybacking off that you're talking about about punishment. Well, the thing is, is that. You you punish for an infraction. And where did that infraction come from? Well, it was created by society. And so we're creating this infraction. We're, we're creating this thing to punish people for. And so sometimes you just have to go back and say, is the punishment, um, instead of looking at, does the punishment fit the crime? Should this even be a crime? You know, it's like being, being gay or, um, you know, using drugs. I mean, it, it, that whole point of should this even be a crime? And that's one thing that in Ocean City that I kind of, it kind of hit me that even if they hadn't had the the outdoor, the ridiculous outdoor use ban for vaping or smoking, either one outdoor use or tobacco in general, I guess, you know, they don't check your mouth for snooze, but exactly. Um, it says I needed mental, uh, I'm said I need, I needed mental health help, not jail. Um, yeah. And, and we know that a lot of these, a lot of people who start using nicotine products and other drugs have mental health issues. I'm not saying they're crazy. I'm just saying that they might be suffering from stress, depression, anxiety, um, ADHD, uh, on the spectrum. I mean, there's so many different things that can be, that gives you that something with the nicotine and other drugs and stuff and to create any kind of drug use should not be on any kind of criminal or even any kind of what's the word civil none of that should be on there it, it really shouldn't because 
you, you've got to know that most of these people have something going on that this is some kind of crutch, you know, and you're basically just adding insult to injury. But and even if well, it's what not, happened- right, like if it's just 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 because even if it's not yeah. Uh, yeah. for, for yeah. coping it's reasons or mental health reasons, uh, violating bodily autonomy, bodily autonomy is a human right. So when we yeah, punish I mean, people for what they choose to do with and or put into their own bodies, we exactly. are violating very fundamental, basic human rights. Imagine Period. having an for ordinance. For whatever reason they're choosing to do it for. Right. Imagine having an ordinance for somebody walking down the boardwalk with a cup of coffee. <gasps> That's got caffeine. There's a, there's a neurotoxin in there. You can't be doing that out in the open in public. That's horrible. I mean, just it sounds so ridiculous, but that's exactly what they're doing with nicotine. Um but that's what, what struck me was that even if those kids hadn't uh, um, collided with those police on that day because of the outdoor ban, they would have because of pump laws. There was still something else there. And and what you were saying earlier, Logan, about how, you know, it, it, you know, it's not like it's not like a career ending type thing or a life ending type thing if you're just getting sort of a ticket or whatever. But unfortunately, these things can escalate. And that first brush with the law, even if it's a parking ticket or a, you know, a use ticket, whatever you want to call it, that, that has a, an effect, you know, that has a, now, now there's something, now you're kind of labeled in a way that you're, you know, even if you, you did something wrong I and mean, I had to go to court with my daughter cause she was caught with a vape. So, I mean, and then that ended up in her having to leave school, you know, and having to teach her from home. I mean, it all kind of starts snowballing and it's all from a civil thing of something that she was doing that wasn't hurting her, anybody or hurting her. Yeah. Or anyone else in the least, you know, and she could have ended up with a record, you know, who knows what would have happened if she'd been able to stay in school. I mean, there's just so many things that it's ridiculous, you know? And so it shouldn't even be a crime (laughs) just like, vaping outside. So yeah, I guess my final take on it is quit, quit. If you guys are pushing pup laws to help solve and save vaping, stop. It's not helping. Before, before, before we wrap up and, uh, and we absolutely need to, uh, I, yes. I did want to address uh, a comment <laughs> that, that Father Jack brought up in the chat. Um, and that was that the DPA booklets have about the same approach to vaping as ants, not very specific. Um, yeah, I, I will I sort of agree with this. Um, this is not really a vaping, a very detailed section on vaping. I know that vaping is sort of included in there. Um, but I think generally, and, and my thought on this is, you know, as long as people are going to be talking about nicotine as if it's the most addictive substance on the planet, if, 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 the, if the activists are going to compare us to cocaine and heroin, then I'm all for including conversations about nicotine in drug harm reduction conversations. And and yes, I agree, there is not a lot of substance specific to vaping in these materials, but in terms of a conversation about substance use and what resources parents have and what they can give to children, I, I think this is a much better starting point than the overall scared straight and, and punitive kind of things that we do see in schools and have seen a lot of us grow up with. Um, and so that's that's why I mean, I personally support this and why I keep bringing it up uh, on the podcast and so on is because I think it's just it's a much more useful resource than a lot of the other things that parents are getting. And certainly if, if they can broach that conversation about harm reduction for drugs 
and, and DPA has gone at least some length to include tobacco and nicotine use in this program, um, I think that's a good thing. Um, but I think that's a valid criticism. I, I hope and I think they may actually be aware of how lacking this is with, with vaping specific stuff. Um, but uh, certainly, you know, uh, an organization like Drug Policy Alliance, I have a lot more faith that they're going to be receptive to feedback like that. Uh, and so thank you for bringing that up. And, and I agree. And, and sure, and there, there's always there's always space to improve. Yeah. Uh, I would agree with that. But yeah, uh, you know, I, I would much rather this be uh, the model as opposed to Muppets on a TV commercial <laughs> from Truth Initiative or, or whatever, like like that, the absurdity that comes along with that and that approach as opposed to this, even if this is not necessarily completely up to par, again, there's always room for improvement. This is hands down a much better approach. Yep. And is like Alex said, this is definitely a better starting point at the least. And absolutely we can improve. Yeah. So with that, uh, I think we can, uh, we can wrap this one up. What do you say? Awesome. I agree. So thank you to everybody. Uh, if you've been here the full two and a half hours, you're a champion and <laughs> thank you, especially if unlike me, you didn't have to get up and take a break. Uh, but yes, thank you to everybody who tuned in today. Uh, podcast listeners heads up. Uh, I won't have to keep talking about this pretty soon because you guys have two available here soon. Uh, you'll be able to find the entire episodes if you want to watch these. They'll be available on Twitter, Facebook, and on YouTube. All the links to this will be available in the SoundCloud description below. And if you're tuning into just the legislative rundown right now, also know that if you want to listen to this full episode, that is also available on SoundCloud as well. Um, what do, what do you got? Uh, final thoughts, anybody for today? Well, Floor Jack you. says, uh, well done. And I think he meant well done, but I'm so hungry right now. That just made me want to go make dinner. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for oh, stopping yeah. by, Father Jack. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is past uh, the start of dinner time here as well. So, uh, but uh, yeah, thank you everyone for, for sticking in the long haul here. Um, I appreciate it and I certainly appreciate people um, participating in the conversation. I saw a lot of things going through chat that we didn't quite touch on uh, in terms of, you know, consequences people have faced when they could really just use some help. Um, yeah. And uh, and yeah, so I thank you all for being engaged. Thank you for showing up. And hopefully thank you for taking this conversation and sharing it with people around you. And if you've got some ideas for things you want us to do a deep dive in, let us know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kristen, where could people email us, uh, you know, outside of leaving comments on social media, maybe where they're watching or something like that? If people have ideas, is there a place that they could also reach us? Al Alex, you answered that question. Where would you like them to email us? <laughs> oh, well, um, you can send emails to board at casa.org. Um, take action at casa.org is another thing. Uh, if you if you if that's easier to remember. Uh, okay. But yeah, there's multiple people monitoring those email addresses. So um, as long as you're not like calling us a bunch of names, <laughs> we'll we'll usually get back to you. I mean, unless it's Alex, Logan, and Kristen, or the other names of the board, you can call us those names. Those are appropriate. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, yeah. But also, side note, uh, I believe next week we're actually not going to be here. We're going to be taking the holiday weekend off. Uh, yeah. So we will be back. What what does that put us at? 
I don't know what day that puts us that out. I'm super ill prepared for this conversation right now. I think that would be July. 10th. 10th. July 10th, yeah. July 10th, 10th is July when 10th. we will return. Uh, so, yes, we will be off next week. Everybody, you get a two-and-a-half-hour break on your Sundays to watch <laughs> something else on YouTube. Uh, but we will be back on the 10th. Uh, as always, same time, same place, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30 Pacific, uh, anywhere else around the world. Sorry, you got to Google it, something. I don't know, do some math. Maybe you're better at time zones than I am, and it doesn't take much to be better at time zones than me. Uh, but thank you one last time to everybody who tuned in. And if you have not yet joined CASA, please do head over to CASA.org, sign up, become a member. It's completely free. If you'd like to donate, we're definitely not going to tell you no. Uh, and you can also sign up for newsletters. Uh, check out the blog every week that Kristen works really hard on. The site looks fantastic. Thanks to Jan- Danielle Jones. Uh, and I think that's it for us, though. Please head over to CASA. Oh. If you have not yet submitted your testimony, please do. We have thousands, but we literally need millions. So share your story with us and with the world. That's it. We're out of here. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you next time. Have a great holiday for those of you in the U.S. Yeah.